Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Mango Talk Star Wars. I'm your host, Lee. I'm here. I'm joined by my co-host, Jamie. Jamie, how are you? I am great. I'm going to talk a little slower than you. I'm going to bring it down. It's late night with Mango Talk Star Wars. And I am also here with Spencer, who is joining us midway through the season for his mid-season check-in of Ahsoka. Spencer, how are you? In the sake of spite, I will now talk louder and faster for the sake of adding energy to the podcast. That's good. We already got you two on the other side. You know, I heard from a lot of people after the last podcast, they really enjoyed the dynamic. Jamie, positive, looking for ways to excuse the show's behavior. Spencer, negative, looking for ways to bash the show. It'll be interesting to see where you both land now mid-season. I can say that, like, the online reaction seems to be relatively positive for the season so far, especially this episode. It is part five, Shadow Warrior. I guess we can start by just general takes on what we thought of this episode in particular. Jamie, what did you think of part five? Uh, I liked it a lot overall, as you might guess. The things I liked most about it, I wish they had given me more of. The things that I didn't like are the things that uh, you know, Lee knew that I wasn't going to like, and I think I just need to get over a little bit. Purgles. Got to get over the purgles. Look, can, have you seen that? Meme? They're not going okay, to like, we talk about the mail. I want to talk about the mail. Look, eventually I want to talk about the Purgles because I've got charts and I want to talk about the Purgles. <laughs> We're going to have Purgle talk later. Spencer, what did you th- let's just start right now with part five. What did you think of part five this episode? I think it's reflecting an upward trend in the season. Uh, it definitely shows better craft, even just better acting, which is uh, acting in the dialogue have been the weakest parts of the show so far. And they seem like they're improving over the last couple episodes. Um, the action is getting better too. I think the action episode four was the best yet in the season. This, this action was just good. But my overall feelings are kind of, I wouldn't say they're mixed. I'm just, it has a certain kind of amused tinge to it of where this was an interesting episode of watching something that could not be stronger nostalgia for you, Lee, in a way that it isn't for me. This was hitting an aspect of Star Wars lore that I'm aware of, I know about. You, you practically can't avoid it, but I don't have the same kind of nostalgia resonance for it that I know a lot of other Star Wars fans do, and particularly you and you, 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 uh, you in particular. Uh, so I thought it was I thought it was a, a good episode. I thought it is a show that's now finding its feet, and this episode is showing that. I thought in some ways it actually offered a certain measure of explanation, or at least sanding down of some of the elements I most disliked about the first few episodes of the show. Uh, don't do away with them, but at least perhaps provides an in-show explanation for why they were going the route of some of those. So it is reflecting a general improvement in my view of the show that has been ongoing now pretty much since episode three. So you're the okay. host, but I'm going to, I'm going to throw the question to you. What did you think general impression of this episode? Particular sub question. How do you feel like it met or didn't meet your expectation on what you were going to get when you were trying to guess where Ahsoka was going to go and her growth or not episode? Careful, Jamie. If you squeeze loud enough, it may actually form a dog whistle effect. I thought it was really, I really did think it was good. Um, I have, I'm now way, like, it's interesting how this episode in particular flipped me on the series because one of the main things I've been complaining about is that I don't recognize the title character. I don't know who Ahsoka is anymore. Like, I was confused by how it was being acted and the dialogue for her. And we got, I felt like for, for me, it was a pretty solid explanation. It was that the trauma of the Clone Wars, it was being like a child soldier in the, in the Clone Wars, the trauma of seeing what happened to Anakin and actually coming face to face with Darth Vader, Darth Vader, 
sent her into a spiral depression and she was depressed and not excited about life, not wanting to live, not wanting to fight. Right. Anakin kept using that word fight. And like, I felt like he was talking about more than just pulling your lightsaber out and whacking somebody. He was talking about getting up and continuing to try to grow and do better and, and push forward with life. Right. And like, we got an explanation. She wasn't engaged and that's why she lost to Balin. And then that was the lesson that Anakin wanted to teach her. He wanted to pull her back, literally pull her back into life to save her life, to get her rolling again. And then we get a soak of the white at the end, which was just an absolutely fantastic callback to the Lord of the Rings. So I, I loved uh, the explanation for the Soka's character. And I love the, where we ended up going. Uh, and I thought, I thought the episode was really good. I was super entertained. It's yeah. interesting. It's interesting. You're so um, concrete about your interpretation of the sins because that's been the internet chatter. Some of the biggest discussion was the ambiguity of the various, whatever we want to call the flashes that she had to Anakin in terms of how we're meant to interpret them. But it seems like you've got a very concrete view of how of how of how you th- what you think the show means by it. Yeah, we could talk more during the recap. But yeah, I I have decided that they're likely going to leave some level of exactly where they were exactly who Ahsoka was interacting with and what, and what was going on in her head during that period. They're going to leave some of that probably ambiguous, and I think that's good. I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't need everything perfectly explained in Star Wars, as Jamie and I sort of talked about last episode. I have an understanding of it, like I have an interpretation of it that works for me, that I'm excited about, that I feel like helps explain a lot of the things I've seen already in the series, and that really propels me and gets me excited for the series going forward. So I'm going to run with that explanation. But as we go through the recap, I will tell you sort of how I viewed the scene and what I thought and in more detail. And maybe I can get some some other thoughts from you guys if you disagree. Um, anything else we want to talk about before we jump into the recap for this episode? No, no. Oh, right. uh, if you, I don't have a good feeling of what the title was because the titles are so often like Shadow Warrior. Warrior. Yep. Well, I don't really know how that attaches. So, when if we get to a point and you can tell me, that'd be great because I don't know the answer. Uh, uh, there, I thought it was there, Anakin. I mean, it, it, it could probably be a direct reference to Anakin. Um, it also the visuals. I was just reading this, so I'm just quoting. But the visual style that they used in several scenes with the light and the shadow heavily invokes a Japanese film that is also entitled Shadow Warrior. So it may also be a reference to that, too, given Filoni's well-known love of various aspects of Japanese cinema and lore. Yeah, uh, that, that could, very well could be. It. All right, so we start with a flashback that shows, uh, this is the previously on, shows Ahsoka losing, Ahsoka talking to Sabine, Balin destroying the map, the massive hyperdrive, with Sabine, Shin, and Balin all leaving, and then, hello, snips. So we start with the forest, and this planet in the Danab system, I think we do get the name of the planet later on in the episode, but I forgot to write it down. My bad. Starts with, starts with an S. Yeah, there's some name for it. But it's in the Danab system, we know that. And the cliff, it's it called, seems... It's like, Secretopia, or, like, Secret- <laughs> yes. on Rampia. Or Basically that, yes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, planet with red, with red trees, that's what it is. And big cliffs, the cliffs, it seems like Ahsoka fell off. We see the platform, the broken map, and we see the the X-Wings flying overhead. We hear Hera and the ghost. So the um, for you two, uh, the, the ship that Hera is flying in is the ghost. Uh, that's the main ship of Rebels. Rebels kind of feels sometimes a little bit like the show Firefly. 
and mm-hmm. then there's like a crew on a ship that kind of running around the galaxy doing some things. And so the the ghost was like a real in the same way that like the Firefly ship was a big part of that season. Right. Ghost was a massive part of Rebels. So it was probably like kind of that that's a potential nostalgic moment of the episode for me is getting. Um, I mean, I know we saw Ghost a little bit before in episode one and two, but he's seen Hera like when she's going to buck the Republic, like I'm going in Ghost and land it and Jason's in it with Chopper. Oh, that's pretty cool. Nostalgic for the Rebels fans. Mm-hmm. I I love taking uh, you know my underage children into active war zones. I just want to throw that out there because that bugs the heck out of me. <laughs> Jedi love child soldiers, and it continues through to their friends. That's what Look, we say. I, That's how it works. I, oh, gosh, like she doesn't have a babysitter. She doesn't have anybody. He doesn't have school. <laughs> like they live on what Coruscant or something. They I'm sure they have places they can be and don't have Technic- to follow their parents into war. Technically, she does have a babysitter. It's the droid. It's Chopper. She just also brought the babysitter. Yeah, Chopper's a great babysitter. He, it, Chopper is absolutely capable of dealing with Jason. I, I mean, I, I guess the counterpoint here would be that Ahsoka probably wouldn't have been found without Jason. Uh, that seems okay, to be the so, implication. Yeah, yeah, that's retroactive Look, thinking. But plot device, Mr. Fro- Frodo, plot device is not always that strong for me as far as a justification. Um if it is, I guess, like, I have to accept it. I, I don't see I don't see why he came. Well, all. you guys know what I was getting at there. I wasn't getting at that. Like, she brought Jason because she knew Jason would find no, Ahsoka they, in they the water. She knows there. she knows so. that Jason has powers and she relies on that sometimes. Uh, oh, you think you think she brought him because she thought he would be an asset and actually able to help her? I think she's more likely to bring him on anything she's doing because he does have powers. Yes. Over uh, just across the board, she's more likely to bring him. Side question. I, she, she seems to be not very competent as a squadron leader telling people to fire as a guardian of a child, not <laughs> taken into a war zone or as a general interacting with people in charge. Is there anything she's ever been competent? I really I, I'm not convinced. I just wish that you could watch Rebels because like it's you're about to have a child like I'm not throwing like five seasons of this show four seasons of this show at you but like it it is like a sort of underground joke of people who watch Rebels like and what does Hera do again like she's the pilot right but most of the time what that means in the show is that she's got like the ghost like parked sort of in neutral and people are like jumping from a cliff onto ghost as they're escaping like that's kind of what Hera was kind of always doing she did have the relationship with Kanan and of course Jason's the offspring of that which was kind of cool but she was like she was the commander of ghost in that show so she was she was like everyone's boss for four seasons they're all used to taking Hera's like sort of is it is it like a the office sort of boss where no one really knows what to do <laughs> Michael Scott because so far it's pretty close I'm just saying I don't know I'm rewatching rebels now I just got an episode where uh, Ezra just basically got her, got got something from her and then just completely ignored her. So yeah, I think there's a lot of that that goes on for sure. I would also cast doubt, cast a certain degree of doubt on the idea that she's intentionally bringing him as like a human mind detector because when when they're down on the planet here in a minute, he starts to say, "Hey mom, do you hear this?" And her immediate response is to put on her mom voice and say, "Not now, I'm talking to an adult." So she doesn't seem to be defaulting to using his abilities until he actually starts to. Expound upon them. Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe that's a good point. I, I don't know. I think that Hera had because she had a relationship with Kanan, who's a Jedi. She has a very healthy respect for the Force and what it can do. So it would stand to reason that she would respect that. I don't know. Logically, Not, I, logically, so I, yes. I, wish they would say that or show that. 
I'm going to give a reason because you know, yeah, this is this is my new role in here is creating justification. Yes, you're the writer, <laughs> basically <laughs> rewriting so the behind the scenes so that the things that are happening make sense. Look, it, it's it's it comes from the actor idea. If an actor's doing something, it's for a reason. Yeah, got to give them the benefit of the doubt if you can find a reason. She, okay, I I, I hate giving Lee something to love on his whole. We can't tell how much he's joking that he's on Team Thrawn. I but, am Team um, Thrawn for sure. I don't think she trusted that if she left her son on Coruscant and she went and defied orders, that her son would, like, be there when she got back. But he wasn't on Coruscant. He was on Home 1. Yeah, well, there. Whatever. We're, we're, <laughs> Even on her ship, he might where be Where the screwed. fuck ever. Well, look, they, they came to arrest her or court martial her or something. Like, spoiler from later in the episode, for anybody who is, like, live watching the episode while they hear us and don't know how it ends. Um like, I'd like to talk they, to those they, fans. They, they came to maybe go put her in jail. Maybe they were wondering, maybe she was worried that they would. I don't think they're going to put her in jail. I think they're going to relieve her of command, I think is the, is the idea. Um, I mean, I think that's step one to putting them in jail. I don't think okay, I, I, I'm not going to bury the lead with Hera. I think that, like, Hera never had any business being an actual general in a real army. Like, and, and I mean, you, you guys know that just from watching these episodes, but like all that we have with Hera is that she wouldn't work well in such a system. So like if she ends up being relieved of command in this season, it would be like, so apropos. It's like, yeah, of course, like, a, or, of course, make, make her a detective or not actually in charge of a fight squadron where she never says shoot, um, but make her, make her a detective. She can be uh, Batman. Make her Batman. Give her her own little ranger squadron like Mr. Kim. She'd be great in that kind of role. Mr. Kim is the fucking best, isn't he? I, I love yeah. that guy. But, but but don't make her in charge of shooting or telling people to shoot. <laughs> no, like, no, you no. have one. You had one job of stop that thing. Oh, stand in front of it. Speaking of our guy Carson Tiva, he wonders what the what what's going on. I've got nothing down here. It looks like we missed the party. She wants a full sweep. Jason comes out with chopper. They're on the the little cliff there that had the 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 stones that all the action took place last episode. Mm-hmm. She says he can come out, but needs to keep Chopper with him. I, it is, I would imagine. I'm just trying to guess that, like, if you have not, if you're just watching this and you don't know these characters at all, it might seem like kind of strange that she would just be like, make sure you keep Chopper with you because Chopper will protect you. Like, it's like kind of a strange idea, but like Chopper is pretty fucking handy uh he, he accomplishes quite a lot in the show rebels so i don't know maybe maybe it makes sense but it still it still struck me as strange that she would like suspect that chopper would like take care of jason this if something is, popped out this is a sequel season to rebels we get it we understand that you're we're only going to get some of the beats to the level they're intended if we've watched all of rebels and all of clone wars before that yeah I, I think i think maybe i didn't explain that well what i was trying to say is that there's a little bit of explanation for why she would want chopper to like protect jason or whatever but it still doesn't really jive for me it still seems kind of silly i i have insight actually um so i i've got two kids and they are of disparate ages and there's times when arguably neither one should like be left alone in x y or z arguably but you can leave them together because the thing is not that they're going to be more responsible together but if something bad happens to one the other one will scream and you're close enough you can hear Mm. Chopper is mm. Chopper is the well up to you whether it's the three years older or three years younger brother, but fine. If Chopper falls in a hole, you'll scream. If somebody pulls a gun on you, Chopper will go, and then I'll know and I'll save you. So they're each other's like alarms. That's probably okay. Right. 
That's right. Um, <laughs> it's life alert. I like that feature. Yep. yep. So, Shots life alert. Somber music is playing. It feels, <laughs> oh, like we're, it feels like we're dealing with loss here in this episode. Jason hears something, then hides behind Chopper, which makes me laugh. He just kind of crouches behind Chopper. She walks up. <laughs> I was expecting uh, Chopper to protest a little bit that he was being used as human shield, but trooper that he is, he just, he, he, he just tolerates that I, role. I, I forgot about that somehow, despite if he just watched the episode. He just like ducks, you can't see me. And you're right, it would have been better if Chopper went and hit behind the child. That would have been even better. Chopper, oh, 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 oh. let me tell you all a very brief story about Chopper, how much of a gangster he is. One time, the crew of Ghost procured through a series of events an Imperial droid that they really liked. That they were mm-hmm. like, hey, this Imperial droid's dope. And the Imperial droid was being super handy about the ship, like helping them out with stuff. And they were like, we're going to keep it. We're going to have two droids now. And Chopper literally pushed the droid off of the space, off of the ship when it was in the air, destroyed it, just killed it, just literally killed his rival. Green with jealousy. In cold, in cold blood, just murdered it- did droid. was was it secretly an evil droid? Did, and if so, did Chopper know that, or Chopper was just like, "You are on my turf." It was a hundred percent portrayed as this is a, just a nice droid, and Chopper is jealous, and therefore killed it. That's all it was. <laughs> so that's how he rolls. Um, that, that's that leads any good questions on droids and ethical <laughs> morality. Let's let's have a droid with empathy and sorrow and depression right now. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the laws of robotics do not apply in the Star Wars universe, as we've seen before. I'm also now very concerned about leaving children with this droid. Yeah, yeah, that maybe maybe there's something to that. Um, so they they walk up to the cliff and they see Hu Yang. And she, he is looking at Sabine's helmet, and he says, I told them to stay together, but they never listen. They never listen. Sad moment. Hera looks somber. Jason walks up, almost drawn toward the edge, it seems. He keeps, like, doing this sort of wistful, contemplative look out to the, the water. And then we get the opening credit. Then we get Ahsoka standing in front of Anakin. This is what I wanted to see. He says, um, she says, you look the same, which I thought might have been sort of a joke about, like, um, when – because Filoni likes to do this. Uh, when they've brought in Christensen back, a lot of folks online have talked about how he didn't look that old or that he didn't, he's not aging, you know, a lot or whatever. Might have been a, a little bit of a inside joke there. But she says, you look old. And she says, well, he's, well, that happens, Anakin. She, Go ahead. She can't. In almost all the depictions they have of Anakin now, including when they re-edited Return of the Jedi in a way I hate, they've all done young Anakin. Like, she met old Anakin. She met him as Darth Vader. They could just do Hayden Christensen at his current age, and it would work. That's about, the age, that's about the age he died. I've got a theory. that Because uh, part of my problem with what the final scene in the last episode was that uh, Anakin had his mechanical hand in this flashback. And Ahsoka never knew Anakin with a mechanical hand. Uh, they, they were separated by the time well, that, that happened. Uh, well, yeah, they're meeting later, right? But my my thought here uh, is that that he is continuing her training, right? So he literally is appearing as what he would look like in the timeline of her training, like the net, like we, okay, I, I've taught you for this period. Now your your next training is happening. You're getting me in the very next period, and he clearly can play with what version of Anakin she's going to get because he flips the dark side later or whatever. So I don't know. I thought that maybe that's why it was depicted that way, why he had the mechanical hand. It was because in her timeline of training, this would have been the next, like if she hadn't walked away that uh, when she walked away from Anakin after being booted from the, uh, from the Jedi order and then Yoda asked her back and she said, no, 
if she'd have came back, that would have been her next lesson, would have been this version of Anakin. Jamie? I thought that she fought with him during the Clone Wars in the TV show Clone Wars. And if I recall episode two, he lost his hand at the beginning of the Clone Wars. As Yoda's saying, the Clone Wars have began. I think she knew him with a robot hand. Oh, okay. All right. Well, then that that works better. Uh, okay. that, that's, I, that's better. I, I think she only knew him with the robot hand. So that, that might help that, especially kind of maybe strengthen your idea of this is what she thinks of him when she sees him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that works. A lot hinges on to what degree we think this is real or not. With the implication being, I think the show is going with this is quote unquote real in the sense that the green haired young Jedi to be detects it and hears lightsaber noises in a way that this is in some way happening in the force. In which case, I'd almost prefer whether again they, they stop de-aging all their characters and just do Hayden Christensen as a somewhat older man at like the moment of his death and then do the flashbacks of various ages what they do thereafter. That way he almost could greet her as a peer at a similar age and a similar moment in life in a way they didn't when they were alive together. But whatever. Again, if it's all in her head, it's what all she needs to be. For what it's worth, I'll say that as much as the first little bit from the prior episode, I thought that the de-aging looked really CG, fake, awkward, weird. I hated it. Looks better here. The whole thing looked better. All of it looked better. I I don't know why... I don't know whether it was the lighting or why they would have put their hard effort into not the introduction. You'd think that that three seconds, they'd do the best that they could. I don't know. It was kind of weird, but I was very fine with the de-aging for the entirety of this episode. I think, I think lighting played a lot. They did a lot of, a lot of things were done in shadow. A lot of things were done in fog, which helps for moments like that. That isn't just pristine, perfect lighting in the way they did with the initial reveal. Cause otherwise the de-aging, this looked mostly very successfully well done. Yep. Especially for Ahsoka? I mean, I don't know. That must have been some good makeup. Have you guys seen Barbie, by the way? No. Nope. This, the, the, the young Ahsoka is played by the same actress that's in Barbie. So credit to her that she's getting a lot of work lately. So she says, what happened? He says, you lost a fight. She says, I don't remember. He says, trust me, you lost. She doesn't <laughs> like that. Balin kicked your ass. Let's just be honest. She doesn't like that. She says, Balin's goal. He says, so you do remember. He says, that's good. Why? I mean, you still have a chance, a chance. And he says, yeah, to live. So she's like, what, what the hell's going on? And he goes, I'm, t- I'm here to finish your training. So he says, it's a little late for that. And Anakin reminds her that one is never too old to learn. She says, all right, one, well, what's the lesson, master? And live fire, he pulls the lightsaber and he says, live or die. And she says, I won't fight you. And he says, I've heard that before. I think I um, already had one big strikeout this episode, but I am fairly sure this is a, Call back to Return of the Jedi when uh, Luke Luke tells Vader, "I will not fight you," and yes. he takes a swing at him. But both this episode and episode three are heavily harkening back to the to beats of the original trilogy in very in various ways, and this one is definitely drawing some comparisons between Luke Luke versus Vader and now Ahsoka versus Anakin. She, oh, yeah. Somehow, I, I, somehow I didn't even think about him hitting the ground with his lightsaber in the original series like that. So I, yeah, you're right. I thought about it. I hadn't thought about that. Love it. I also, one thing that seems really repeated here is the <laughs> distinction that the show's looking to draw uh, between um, not being willing to fight and living and how those are very much distinct and different concepts that shouldn't be necessarily conflated. She attacks and blocks and then standing on the world within world, uh, they have a lightsaber to and cut to waves crashing against the rock. Jason is watching. Chopper's patrolling. Got the little 
radar scanner thing popped up out of his top of his unit. Hera and Hu Yang are commiserating about not knowing where they are, where the where Sabine and Ahsoka are. Hera says that when they find Sabine and Ahsoka, they'll figure out more about the, the ship that jumped to hyperspace, right? That that, that ship that, that they passed. And then Hu Yang definitely says, well, or at least maybe logically is a better word, uh, basically like, well, unless one, you know, answers the other, basically, um, unless one thing answers the other. And that's when Hera's like, oh, shit, never really. You can tell she hadn't really thought about that, the concept that one of them might have been aboard the ship. Hera hadn't, like, thought through the possibilities and the strategic implications of a situation. No. Environment. What? G- General Hera? Are we talking about the same one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, this Harris slander. I'm with it. I'm I'm with it. I'm not a big Harris fan. Look, just the more she talks, the more I'm wondering. Like, I like her personality just fine. And you're right. Uh, no, she should not be a captain of a ship or a general of an army. She should be, you know, a, a one woman detective agency where she, you know, wears a trench coat and solves crime. That's about, I think, what she'd be good at. Essentially, selector to be in the Star Wars equivalent of MI6, make her a James Bond-like character that just does her own, basically nope. follows nope. missions. Nope, that's way too much authority and autonomy. <laughs> we need her to be the person who like goes and gets a crew, uh, where she's just the person who knows everybody and can pull a crew together. I'm uh, okay with her being Danny Ocean. Even she can be Danny Ocean, but really nothing else. And like a Danny Ocean who kind of doesn't try to come up with the plan herself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I, I, I have nothing to defend this character. She is the weakest character so far in the show. The slander will continue until her character improves. Carson comes out and says, "Hey, we have a problem. We stay too much longer. We're gonna—they're gonna start asking some questions." Jason gets her attention and says, "Hey, there's something about the water. I can feel it." Carson tells Hera they have to figure out how to give an answer about what they're doing. Hera says, "Look, I'll do it. What good is a higher rank if you don't use it every now and again?" I believe this maybe. The second time she said made some reference to like what is what is what's the good to be in general if you don't like break the rules basically is kind of the idea and it just continues to like reinforce to me that this lady is not long for her rank like it's not going to last that much longer because she seems to think that the major value or one of the major values of having the rank is like pulling it and doing whatever the fuck you want from time to time and in this New Republic that we did the Disney New Republic, the new canon New Republic. I'm not sure that's going to fly that long. It's amazing that she even made it to this rank. I think it's actually terrible things about the New Republic military if this is the person that they're promoting to a position of authority like this. Jason says, don't you hear it? The waves crash. You know, the lightsabers. And this is the one thing I did not like about the episode. They, they, there seems to be an implication by the way this is produced that Hera hears it too. Yeah. And I don't like that Filoni seems to be leaning into this concept that like everyone can potentially tap into the force. Like Sabine, who is not force sensitive, she can be a Jedi now and that Hera basically can hear it. I, I don't like that that's, at all. That's because you're elitist and like borderline yeah. with Thrawn and everything. And you only want people with the good blood and the, the midichlorian. Correct. Yeah. Correct. It should be special. Otherwise, what are we watching? It, the show seems to be leaning heavily into the idea that as established in the original series, that everything that lives and breathes and everything else is connected to the Force. Yep. And now it's just saying, yeah, there's, yeah, everybody's born with a different kind of innate level or like threshold of a, a connection or ability to manipulate the Force they can potentially aspire to. But everyone's connected, and everyone can be taught in some way to tap into that. I mean, that's, that's kind of where they're going with it now. Well, and I love that because I mean, that's one of the things I thought was really interesting in Episode Eight of the movies 
was the idea of it was really weird that there was a person who was not connected to the force, who had like cut themselves off where the force no longer like flowed around them and not through them anymore. Because every single person has it flowing through them. Every rock has it flowing through them. So I, I, I'm, I'm incredibly okay with that. Um, the idea that she was able to hear it, that it's actually just what it sounded like, like the droids could hear it. Everybody would be able to hear it if they just are making that noise. Um, and he's just paying they attention. Aren't, they aren't making that noise, though. I don't think that, but I, that's not I, how I, I took it. But I heard it, and I'm not a Jedi. So they're making I, you, you, you heard what they experienced. I, I certainly no, I mean, like. No, it was my ears. I, I didn't hear their ears. We're, we're tapping into their experiences for a moment. No, no, I was watching them. I was looking at them, so I wasn't inside their head. Okay, but I'm going to say that if we read the script, there was a little stage direction in there saying she experiences connection to the Force, and that's what we read. Your mom experiences connections <laughs> through the Force. Sir. Well, apparently all living beings do. So, yeah, sure. Yeah, it could be anybody. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like Obi-Wan explains it in episode four as it's, the you know, the force that connects all things, binds us, runs through us like it connects everything. So I got that. I, and the fact that Hera is connected to the force, everyone is. But the ability to hear the world within worlds and like hear the lightsaber fight, I would think would be something that somebody would need to be pretty strong in the force to be able to do that's a that's not common i mean the world within worlds is a place that like uh ezra could only get to when he had a very significant amount of training not not even all jedis could get into it there was a lot of discussion in the show rebels about who could get in who couldn't palpatine couldn't get in other jedis couldn't get in so in fact she hears it it just it's very strange to me I'm straight there with you. I actually was kind of hoping they do something similar to like what they did in episode three of where a character tries to connect the force and can't because they actually don't have the training in which to do so. Uh, when I think it was Sabine was trying to move that little cup and it didn't yeah, work. I liked that. I almost kind of hope they were going in that direction and said she just trusts her child and, and the abilities that her child has and goes from there with respect to it rather than she has a personal connection to it. it, it I felt like that was a bit of a misstep. Side question. Why isn't this kid getting trained? Why is Ahsoka so invested in Sabine? This kid seems like he's ready to go through to go through the full gauntlet. So who would who would he's teach him at this point? Too old. He's too old to begin the training. Yeah, but Sabine is great. You know, twenty three. Hey, whatever. How else. much how much money do y'all have on you? How much money do you have on you? Because I I would like to bet all the money you've got on you that one Ezra Bridger will be trading this kid. So if y'all if anybody wants to take the bet, I will fucking bet it. Uh, Jamie's convinced Ezra's dead. So Ezra is not. Not dead. I'm pretty. It's the uh, Chekhov's Ezra. Yeah. No, I, I definitely don't think he is dead. I think that logically speaking, there's no reason for the characters to not think that he is dead. Oh, there's no that's reason to think he's alive. He is because it's a TV show, and if everybody's dead, then uh, what are we watching? Again, I'd be. I'd actually find it so much more interesting if he's dead. Uh, yeah. Just from a standard plot point. He's, he, he, why it, why it, isn't Ahsoka training this kid? Because Ezra's going to train him, because Ezra was the Padawan to his dad, Kanan. I, I thought that wasn't a possibility until very recently. Why has she been training him for a couple of years now? Because she's been depressed. Yeah, exactly. She hasn't been training anybody for a couple of years. She picked up Sabine immediately. Nope, nope, no, 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 no. She had a Padawan with Sabine. They stopped, and she's not taking on a new one, and she is not training, and she's saying she's not a Jedi, and she's there with the robot, but she's like, no, I don't want her. And she, 
I'm taking on a new person. We, we had an Obi-Wan episode four training scenes in episode three with the straight, you know, blast visor down lightsaber uh, uh, training session. Now. She's now. training Sabine. Did you see how, like, traumatic it had to be for either of them to accept the other ones, like, working together again? Sure. So don't train the person you've got trauma with. Start fresh. No. Look, no. New trauma to a child's worse. Like, don't do that. <laughs> I don't know. Like, Ahsoka? On, she wasn't planning on taking anybody else on. She wasn't ready to love again. But her old flame came back, and they're giving it another go. Okay, I actually buy this. Send him to Luke then. Luke's out there. Well, that, that is something that I hope they flesh out a little bit. Yet yeah, is he now? Does does she know that now? I don't know where we are in that timeline. We're, we're at the same point as Mandalorian. We're actually be, be, we're not, 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 a little bit after. So we've met but, Luke in Mandalorian. But Ahsoka hasn't met Luke yet. That yes. we know. Okay. We're already past that. We're Wait. between season two and season three of Mandalorian, and I have a theory that when Grogu saw the Purgles, that those were the Purgles that Ahsoka was on. That's my theory. Space Wills, man. Space Wills. That's, that's why he cared about it. That's why he connected to it. Look, this is not the moment to talk about Purgles. I'm saving it. I'm uh, I don't know. I, I think that, I think that, um, I hope that in the new canon, they do give us an explanation about a little bit what Luke is doing. I know they're trying to be careful about showing Luke too much because that's like, uh, it's like bringing the rock back to WWE. It's like, just do it every once in a while for good God's sake. Cause the crowd goes crazy. But I think we need an explanation because Spencer, you're right. I mean, if you have a, f- a kid who is so s- obviously force sensitive, Hera's very knowledgeable about the Jedi and the train. I mean, she watched on ghost. She watched Kanan train, Ezra for years, she knows how this whole works. It, it doesn't make sense that she wouldn't send him to Luke. It does make sense to me. I have bought into the concept, however, that like Ahsoka was dejected, depressed, was not like e- even at the start of the series, right? She gives like almost like a, a little bit of a hint that she might have like tortured Morgan Elsbeth when she's like, yeah, I, I got the information from her. And I just, let's just say it wasn't a very like Jedi way when she's talking to Hu Yang. Mm-hmm. So she has been kind of out on her own. And that's the beauty of this episode is that Anakin, Anakin is pulling her back. And when she comes back as Ahsoka the White, ah, it all works narratively. Okay. And, and really again and again, it comes back. I, I, the fact that David Tennant's on this and they keep hitting the Doctor Who notes of, space person really shouldn't be left alone for a long time or they start turning a little dark. Also, <laughs> I mean, why I mean it? Uh, I'm just saying that it hits many plot points over and over again really hard. I'm just mm. saying. Hera tells Carson to get her squad up to scan the water. He says, we already did that. She's like, look, just do it again. And he's like, what the fuck? What am I missing? This guy, Carson, to you, he, he slayed it for like five years in the show, Mr. Kim's Convenience. He is so mm-hmm. funny to me because when he drops the, he has two fine lines that really made me laugh this episode. This is one of them where Hu Yang's like, well, Jason has abilities and he just goes, okay, all right, fine. Like, and I, I, I enjoyed that. Physical acting was so on point. It was wonderful. I, I love the perspectives that some of these TV shows in particular have given us of non-forcence to people interacting with people that are and just the level of no, nothing's ever, no one ever bothers to actually explain things to us. It's just straight space magic. All I can do is shrug because we keep giving these people positions of power. Well, I mean, so for him at least, he does seem to have respect for it and like these people and everything. I don't think it's really just, I don't care. I think it. Oh, he cares. He's just, well, he's just, he, it's outside of his knowledge or, or what people have explained to him. 
Yeah. Right. I, I I took it as look the odds that I can exp- understand this if you explain it less than fifty fifty. The odds that I will agree with you if we talked about it for long enough greater than fifty fifty. So let's just skip all the boring. We'll just go to the. <laughs> I don't know why, but I agree with you anyway. We'll just skip right there. Sure. Hmm. Also, Hera would not have explained it to him even if he asked. That's your Ahsoka, Anakin. Ahsoka gets a blow in and says, look like you don't have much left to offer. And he says, I haven't taught you everything yet. He cuts the floor underneath her and she falls and she is dropped into a Clone Wars battle. This was uh, something. At, at like age 13, 14? How old was she in, 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 in the Clone Wars series? She was really young, for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think that they... Like, yeah. She did amazing. The, the look, the facial expressions, the tone, it, just from like the half a season, one season that I watched, loved it. Very impressed. I believe that this was the battle of, at Teth, which is the battle that was included in the 2008 Clone Wars movie, which introduced the Clone Wars series. This is one of the very first battles that we saw Ahsoka in. It's a movie I need to watch, too? <laughs> Adding to the hours, man. Yeah, they they started the Clone Wars animated series with the movie, and then they started seasons after that. But I think this is Teth, is what, See, what this the was. seasons are better than the movie. I actually didn't like the movie that much. Uh, so she yells, this is the Clone Wars? And he goes, yeah, no kidding. And she says, this is one of our first missions. Why are we here? He says, you tell me. She says, I don't understand. He says, that's your problem. Ahsoka runs to catch up, and they run and run with Anakin's clone troopers. This is the 501st. This is the Anakin's clone trooper unit that always ran with him that included mm-hmm. Captain, Captain Rex, 501st. Shout out. Uh, or no, this doesn't include Rex. This is Anakin's 501st. We see Captain Rex. We see Rex. Rex is the was part of the squad that ran with Ahsoka and did the, the Battle of Mandalore, which we see here in a minute. Um, so she, she asks about her training and he yells, this is your training. Cut to after the battle and they're taking care of the wounded. Ahsoka comes over to a man who has a face injury and she sits next to him comforting him. He holds her hand back and she smiles and starts to break a little bit. Anakin's talking with some other folks and comes over to her and says, come on, Snips, the battle's not over yet. There are more separatist droids approaching. Um, she comes up to him and she's still looking back at the troopers and he says, there, is there a problem? Before I, I blow through all this dialogue, anything I want to say here uh, as we see the start of the Battle of Perth here and, and start to get some of the early interaction between young, young Ahsoka and Anakin. I, I thought this was well-done nostalgia in the sense that, though it doesn't resonate with me to the same degree, it's clearly resonating with the character. And so that establishes importance even beyond just the you know tri- triggering member berries in the fan base. Yeah, I'm kind of confused why she cares. Because she has to know that, like, it's not real. Like, they're having conversations now. She has to know it's a memory or a flashback. Like, the, these people are echoes or memories or something. It's not real. So she's not changing the past. Or she, if she really thought she could change the past, they do all kinds of different stuff. Um, but so she knows it's not real. And also, like, these clones are all going to turn into Empire Stormtrooper murder bots. And she knows it. So, <laughs> Like, he's feeling very, um, a, a lot of loyalty as she felt in the moment, which is fine. But it, that, that was, those are the two thoughts I said. Like, why is she taking this seriously when she knows it's fake? And why is she feeling so nostalgically loving 
And maybe that is just nostalgia, basically. But I remember when things were simple. I remember when I knew who my friends were. That was nice. Or, well, based on her dialogue here, this isn't adult Ahsoka in some ways has checked out. This is kid Ahsoka that's experiencing controlling this moment, or adult Ahsoka is you know, wearing that hat again in terms of the lines going through. This is almost to the point of where Leo is going to ask, is this beat for beat a scene that we saw in Clone Wars or something, or at least overlapping with that? Because this felt this felt like they were going through an old an old moment in their lives almost word for word. No, not word for word. It's not. It doesn't line up with it. I, I know what you're talking about. They didn't do. They didn't shoot it that way. It's not like lined up with the script. There there was a battle at Teth, but it they weren't like having this sort of like conversation. Now there was a conversation that she had with Anakin after she really screwed up a space mission and a bunch of people died and he had a very similar conversation to her like hey sometimes in war you you know you make the best decision you can and you just keep going and we're jedi but we're not perfect that whole thing that happened almost at the end of season one of clone wars but that was not the battle of teth so some things are getting conflated here but like i i was okay with that because i felt like this was Closer to a dream sequence for her than like just reality and she's got her clear, normal head. And so like, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in a dream, there, there, it's very common for me to like feel like, I think this is a dream, but to keep going, like I don't, I, I don't just stop and go, well, since I know this is a dream, I will not interact further. Like I just keep kind of doing stupid shit and it participating in it, even though in the back of my mind, I'm thinking this is probably a dream. I think that's kind of the impulse that or kind of the scene that Filoni's trying to set here is that, yeah, she has some sense that this is a, this is part of a, a dream sequence or some larger training by Anakin, but she still is in the moment and feeling all the emotions of the moment and continuing to play all of that out. So Spencer, I'm sure can back me up on this. Uh, Lee, no one else feels that way in dreams. You're weird. It's only you. Pretty much, yeah. I was yeah. just actually, bare, I, I was kind of having that moment of where I'm being confronted by a lizard person, just in terms of how not not like anybody else that was. So, yeah, glad to see you're on the same boat, Jamie. Uh, weird I, weird I guy right here. Wizard person. Uh, yeah, well, I'm also going to announce my candidacy for governor then, if I'm a wizard person, because <laughs> they they run yeah. everything. It, in in seriousness, yes, that actually makes sense. And plus, sure, even if she wasn't initially there. Like, I think they just fought, like, a full-on battle. Like, she's emotionally ingrained and stuff, too. So even if she didn't start off there, she will be after an hour of swinging her arms around, probably. Yeah, I think I felt like there was an implication that we're only seeing snippets of what, for her, is Snips. reliving entire moments of her life. Yeah, days, maybe. Who knows? Snippets. Snippets. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, and now I'm so, angry that I did. So good. So anyway, she says, uh, we lost so many. Anakin just looks at her and says, there's always a price to be paid. Soka says, it's her fault. They were following her order. She got them killed. This is a very beat for beat with uh, the... the Sequence of episodes I told you about later. Yeah, I wish I had the, the exact name of those episodes, but they're like kind of later in episode one. But it is something that Ahsoka continually struggled with. And you it's you might expect that, right? If somebody's like having to command troops at 13, that when they die, that it's a problem for them, right? Like she always really struggled with that part of it. She never thought of the, and this is one of the cool parts about Ahsoka and the Clone Wars, I felt like, is that she never viewed them as subhuman or robots or anything. They were nothing but actual real people to her. Remind me, that was an important part of her character arc, too, where if I remember correctly, what I've seen of season one, she's kind of an arrogant little shit, 
up until moments like that, when it gives her a certain degree of humility and then perspective to actually, you know, grow as a person. Yeah. Yeah. That she, she was arrogant a lot and continued to be arrogant a lot, a lot, even through rebels when we saw her, which is why this whole like, uh, dower, I will never speak Ahsoka was confusing me. But guess what? Spencer, they did the thing. You, you, you always say, give me the sentence. Yeah. This episode is the sentence for me about why she was acting that way. We are getting the sentence and they're also grounding it in Dave Filoni's love of Lord of the Rings. So I can't complain too much about either of those things. Look, if anybody has a problem with Ahsoka the White being like too on the nose or too obvious, like I respect your opinion, but I disagree. He's not trying to hide it. Man's it just makes a me very it, intentional reference here. It just makes me happy, and I think it's perfect. She's straight um, wearing gray. She goes off a cliff. She fights her demon, which in this case is basically her own self doubt, and then she emerges now wearing white. Yeah, it, she's a soak of the white. Or the rest. Fucking awesome. Look, I feel like you guys are leaving we colorblind people behind. Uh, and that's a whole conversation. The, the world you don't see, my friend. Jimmy does pretend to be colorblind. I forgot to tell you about that, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> so uh she says this isn't what i trained for and it can tell us hey, look you gotta adjust over time when obi-wan taught me that we were keepers of the peace but now we must adjust to win this war she asked if she'll have to train her own apprentice that way one day and he says do you even want an apprentice it's not all not all it's cracked up to be which i felt like was a really telling line because she's been struggling this whole you know season with if she even wants an apprentice with sabine and it feels i don't know it felt like to me like maybe anakin had been watching her even more than we realized. It wasn't just the fight here. He's been watching her for a while because he's he's asking this question like, hey, by the way, since you're bringing up apprentices, like, do you even want an apprentice? Like, I've been I've been watching your interaction here. It doesn't seem like you really want one. Maybe. I thought it was really just him saying, like, you are a piece of crap apprentice or te- teaching sucks. <laughs> well, it, it, it was a nice little moment because it establishes that this isn't purely just a recreated moment. This isn't just purely going through a prior script of memories. The, the le- he's clearly trying to use a moment of their prior shared history to impart a lesson, and this is one of the ones that helps drive that through. That Oh yeah, okay, now I'm reanalyzing the entire scene and each of the scenes I see after in that light. We're not just purely, you know, she's in a coma reliving old moments of her life. Yeah, I mean, it felt to me like Anakin is not insinuating that in order for Ahsoka to go through the trials, which in, in essence she's going through the trials here with him, is that... But what are the trials? Uh, the, the Jedi trials before you can, you, you are considered a Jedi knight. Um, the, the, that's what the old Jedi order used to have. Uh, Obi-Wan references them in episode one. We get a few other episode references to the trials, which is just like basically, eh, are right, you ready to be a, you're ready to be a Jedi knight now. Here's this series of tests. Think of it as the Jedi bar, guys. It's the bar for Jedi. Oh, you, sit in, you sit in a high school auditorium for two or three days. You bang out a test. Bam, you're a Jedi knight. There you go. That's the trials. You see people next to you have their computers fail, and you feel that moment of just instant instilling dread that it could happen to you. Yeah, okay, I'm I'm with you. Computer? <laughs> I've done two the two bars the two bars are taken different sets. I did mine entirely on the computer, and I will only do it that way. But God, is it nerve wracking as you see on people's computers break around you. But as I was saying, the I don't think the okay. I feel like. One of the ways you could characterize what Anakin's doing here is that he's putting her through the trials and that she comes out on the other end, a true Jedi, that she will now act as a Jedi. This whole kind of waffling in the middle, I'm not part of the Jedi order, whatever. I don't think we're going to get that with Ahsoka the White. That's just my interpretation. We'll see. But 
the, as part of this, I don't think there's any indication that Anakin's saying like, oh, I need to train you how to be a better fighter, for instance. Ahsoka was always one of the best fighters. I, it doesn't surprise me that she best Anakin here. Like that for a long time, we considered her one of the best lightsaber duelists out there. What he's teaching her though is to be a Jedi, you have to continually train, continually push yourself, continually try to be a better person each day. And you're not fighting right now. When you get up in the morning, you're not doing that every day. Like, and that's why he keeps using the word fight. And he's putting her in literal fights to try to generate that emotion in her, to get her amped to going, to motivated, to live again. And he finally, the, none of this works. The war doesn't work. Uh, in pet and Teth, the ward in Mandalore doesn't work. And what finally I think pushes her over the edge is when he says, Oh, okay. I think I see what, what, what motivates you now. I think I see how I can, I can get to that, that fire inside of you. Woof. He becomes Vader. That flares the, flares the emotion in her. It, it sparks something in her. She comes alive again. And that's how he teaches the lesson. That's how I viewed this whole thing. Questions. I have questions. One, was she? Doing the Mandalorian genocide because it looked like she was just murdering a lot of Mandalorians. Or okay, so that that is way off base from what was occurring. Um, so it, Darth Maul, with a uh, troop, a group of his own clone trooper, clone Death troopers, Watch or something like that, right? Yeah, they took over. They took over Mandalore and we're just just decimating Mandalore and we're uh stripping it of natural resources, we're enslaving the people, doing Darth Maul things, as you might right. imagine. And she Just Darth Maul things. And at the same time, when when episode three starts and Obi-Wan and Anakin go and fuck up Count Dooku right at the beginning of that, at the same time that's happening is when Ahsoka leads an army by herself. At this point she's not she's not involved with the Jedi anymore, but she leads her own army with Captain Rex to go free the people of Mandalore uh, from Darth Maul's rule. So she was actually doing a good thing here. Good. Because, you know, the whole, the the Empire bad, but the Old Republic's good, and one turn in the other means I don't, I don't, I, it's hard to always know who the good guys are if you just have a random flashback. Now, uh, I but, love Darth Maul because he looks cool, but yeah, he, he, he was not the best ruler of Mandalore, I don't think. No. Yeah. Second question. Um, If what he had to do to get her to level up as a Jedi was to tap into her negative emotions, her anger, her fear, her, you know, Darth Vader, her gut reaction and her feelings that Darth Vader gives her, that sounds a lot like Sith. That sounds a lot like the dark side. So I actually do have an answer to this. And, okay. and I think that I think that it's a, that happened with Anakin. That that occurred, that Anakin turned and did all of the terrible things that he did as Darth Vader. And she's been running from that. She's been pushing it aside and not addressing it and not dealing with it. And what he is, in a very literal sense, making her do is address what occurred and move past it. And that's that's what we're seeing here. Yeah. And in terms of story beats, this is straight up Yoda sending Luke into the cave and Empire Strikes Back and fighting Darth Vader there. In terms of that kind of moment of the Jedi are very big on just certain elements of exposure therapy about it's not about, you know, you need to be angry or deal or, you know, live in fear. It's that you need to acknowledge that you have these fears and these concerns and these, you know, inherently human elements so that you can deal with them and process them in a constructive kind of way. And a key aspect of her fear that we see here, and it's referenced, referenced several monthly bits, is that the fact that Anakin fell 
And the fact that she is Anakin's disciple is in many ways stifling her ability to grow and continue to develop as a person because she's fearful that she's just carrying on in many ways his legacy, his failures, and you know, that own potential in herself. And so he's bringing those to the fore that she, that she can decide that she wants to live so that she can develop herself in the way he's presenting uh, day by day and whatever else. You've become the masters. I didn't accept rationale behind what was happening, and you made me feel good about it. I've talked to you both so much about optimism, <laughs> making justifications. No, I, I love that completely, and it is very healthy, because the Jedi as a whole sometimes talk about it as if they're emotionless, monastic monks who are stoic all the time, but as a whole, they're not like they, they want to face the truth, even the ugly truths. They want to be honest about their strengths and their weaknesses. And if their you know, anger and hatred is a weakness, you don't just deny that you have it. Right. You deal with it and you address it and you maybe can't get rid of it. Maybe it's part of you and you turn a little purple, but you are honest about it. You don't pretend it's not there and you can't grow until you go into the cave and find your own face behind Darth Vader's mask and all kinds of stuff. I yeah. love that explanation. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. That, helps, that helps this whole thing make more sense to me of what she's really dealing with here. I need yeah. to talk to you guys more often. It, what, it, what, it, what other it, shows are we going to watch together? God. It, it's the Jedi doing the first half of the platonic cave. You have to go into the cave, experience that before you can turn around and see the world. And that's what we're seeing done here. And so we Back to the recap, we get, uh, you know, the, this back and forth about the fact that he was joking in a moment like that. And she goes, look, I don't want to fight anymore. Like, what happens if I, what if I stop fighting? And Anakin says, then you'll die. And I feel like that, that back and forth was about way more than just this battle or even just her battle with Balin. I mean, it is about her battle with Balin. I do think just my interpretation of it was that if she did not during this sequence decide she wanted to live, she was going to die. She was just going to, she was going to go into the force and, and, and not come back. But more than that, I think what he was saying is if you go back, you have to keep fighting and fighting in that more broad sense of the word I keep talking about. That's what he was referencing here. Like you, you cannot stop fighting and try, you know, getting up every day, working hard, you know, uh, trying to learn, pushing forward, dealing with your your fears, your emotions, whatever. Insert all of the work that people have to do, right? He That's what he's saying here. And he's saying, if you don't do that, then you'll die. And in essence, that's what has led to this moment, is that you sure. did stop doing that. You stopped fighting, and that's why you're in this situation you're in. Yeah, the, the stance they seem to be taking is that not fighting is an act of essentially of not living. To live is to fight, to go forward, to develop. Yes. One has to fight. And I, that's an important message for the character. I would love, positively love, if the New Republic in some way gets that message either through this season or through the exposure to Thrawn as well, because the New Republic is doing the exact same thing Ahsoka is in terms of deciding we don't want to fight anymore, but in a way that's inherently not sustainable and dangerous, because effectively they're just asking to now. Fantastic parallel. Not, not I completely, live. completely agree. What, you, you, you think they're going to disband their military or something now? Come on. I'm going to ignore that the films that you so adore of the new series ever happened and hope that a better future can actually be achieved through the TV show. That's what I'm going through. Look, we already have one expanded universe going this way. We, we can make we can make a few more. It's okay. We got yeah, we can do any sick ray within the world within worlds and who knows what seven, eight, nine look like. Hmm. Um, 
So Anakin tells the clone troopers to push forward and off they go. And we get this just fantastic shot of him walking off blue lightsaber in his right hand and a flash. And then we see Vader red lightsaber in the right hand flashback to, to uh, the blue. So for us, it was cool and wonderful and beautiful and a reminder and just loved it. What was that supposed to do for her? Really? So it, it relates back. It relates back to what we were just talking about is that, he he's trying to root what it, he's trying to get to the cause of why did you stop fighting? What has what has created this this version of Ahsoka that we've come to here that would get the shit kicked out of him by fucking Balin's skull who Ahsoka should be able to handle no problem or just like how you're addressing life and how you're how you're living. How have we gotten to this moment? And we're seeing her start to get to that, which is that his turn. That is at the the heart of what has caused her despondency and depression is his turn and what happened there. She's always put way too, in my opinion, way too much on herself for Anakin's decision, saying that like she could have somehow stopped it. So it doesn't surprise me that during these sequences when he's trying to get at the root of, hey, okay, let's go back in time and figure out what happened here that caused this despondent, depressed Ahsoka that she starts seeing flashes of Vader, and then we all, we get that wonderful line from Anakin where he finally gets it, and he turns to him and goes, so that's what this is about. And then he's able to, okay, well, let's get to the heart of that. And the next line he also says, says in that same sentence is, I'm also more than that. And that's, I think, it's a key moment, too, is that she, literally, she can't conceive Anakin in her mind now other than as Vader, essentially. And so now he's playing on that, that, no, I was many things, and I was, importantly, many things important to you, a foundation for you that you will continue to grow in part of your background, part of your history. You need to be able to remember that and process that in the same light of acknowledging that I also was Vader and I was Fell, just so you could actually acknowledge your own childhood of growth that goes that serves as the foundation for who you are. Well, and there was, I mean, so a lot of this, I... I'm so glad that you guys are explaining this because I didn't get all this in the thing. I felt like a lot of this was he, – he just kind of jumped, it seemed like, from one thing to one thing, not really finishing any conversation with her or topic or explaining what was going on. And a lot of it just coming down to, we're going to fight with lightsabers again because it looks cool is how it felt. Woo! Yeah, I, I do buy everything that you're saying. But there was one part that I liked. Uh, you know, he, he was – almost felt like he was being defensive of, like, is that all I am to you? And – also, if you think that's all that you are, then what the hell about Obi Wan? If if yeah. I'm if I'm him, then what? How are you thinking poorly of me? Unless you're going to think badly of him. Qui Gon Yoda. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. you can't have one person in the chain taint the entire chain. The the good is in there too. Learn from your grandfather. Come on. Yeah, and learn what your grandfather did right and was useful to you and disregard that wasn't useful, was dangerous, whatever else. It's all part of a vast compendium of knowledge that you've acquired for legacies in the past that you should use and develop and grow yourself as part of passing on ad infinitum. Cut to the cliff again, and we see the X-Wings doing a sweep of the area. Carson asks, General, how many more times are we going to do this? We're about basically running out of fuel here. She says, look, I appreciate that. that E just get more and more closer to the Keep going, Mr. Kim. Please keep going. Cut to uh, Hera. Carson looks at she. She looks at Hu Yang and says, "Carson's not wrong. Sabine and Ahsoka seem lost and will be stranded out here." Hu Yang says, "Well, you can call the New Republic, right? I mean, wasn't that so cool that they approved your mission?" And she's like, "Oh yeah, uh, no, totally didn't. Completely unauthorized." And Hu Yang takes that in stride and goes, "Ah, oh, yeah, that seems kind of like you're you're normal." 
you, you who know Hu Yang, did he totally know that and just wanted her to admit it, or is he actually surprised here? I'm curious. I I, I don't have an answer there. What do you think? He was sassy. I, mm-hmm. he was sassy. I, I interpret it as being sassy because we've seen it several times in the past that he is perfectly fine with playing Socratic so as to get somebody to admit an important part of what he needs them to get them to admit. So I, I interpret it as he'd obviously put two and two together. Yeah. He just wants it to be out in the open. It, That's it, how I took it, too. That would have been kind of a weird thing to say. Otherwise, so nice that they approve this now that we're talking about getting help from them again, isn't it? Like that would that'd be a weird thing to say otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. So she asked Ku Yang where they are. Uh, people don't just vanish into thin air. And he says, well, no, no, normally, no. <laughs> but Ahsoka, kind of what she does. And that's kind of what he says. He's like, well, with Ahsoka, you never fucking know. You know, you don't know. And then he says, um, you know, she, they, they agree that she's tenacious. Who Yang says, just like her master. And, she, and Hera, Hera, not the strongest episode from Hera, because she's so casual about like, oh, yeah, about that guy. Yeah, I, I, I'd forgotten about the guy who completely changed the history of the galaxy. Yeah, what was he like, by the way? And she said, Yu Yang just has his, I absolutely loved his reaction where he just paused and got as serious as a droid can get and just said, intense. <laughs> Does she not know who her master was? Cause I, I can't understand no, the line unless, did I don't understand the line at all? I don't understand how it was said. I can understand asking, but it, it sounded so flippant. And it's like, yes. I don't know. Like if I was asking about like fucking JFK, I wouldn't just be like, Oh yeah, about that guy. How was that? What was he like? Yeah, I'd be like, right. I'd be a little bit more reverent or, in my or from her perspective. It was like, oh, you worked for Hitler. How was he on a Tuesday? Yeah, it, yeah. It didn't. The tone didn't match what she was asking. Yeah. No, I, I've not. I. Wait, are you are you suggesting that Hera is not good? Historical. <laughs> <laughs> Our Hera. She. Oh gosh. It 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 has been impressive a bit. I started at a pretty low point for our main three characters that were inherited from prior shows. I've gotten better on Sabine. I've gotten better on Soka. Hera has, if anything, she at best she's remained at the same poor level. If, if anything, she's not go, she's not gone down a little in my mind. No, oh no. Well, she came on with well, she's got swagger and confidence, and she's able to and very tight pants and very tight pants and a very tight. I want to I want to know how she gets the hat on. I really really <laughs> with difficulty. It's gotta be hard getting that on over the over the head things the the head. The, the hair. The tentacles, yes. The tentacles. It's got to be really hard pulling those pants on. Mm-hmm. Head pants. Uh, every time I see the head pants, I'm wondering how she gets them on. Maybe but, it's Velcro? No, no, there's no Velcro. They're leather. They're, um, <laughs> it's space leather. They use witchcraft. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Um, but no, she, she came on as well. She can convince people to do the things that the people know they need to do. And that's a great skill. So she's got that. She's a general. She's got swagger. Um, I don't know why anyone listens to her. I don't know why anyone listens to her at all. There are several moments in this episode of where Mr. Kim is just almost, you could just picture him face palming off screen saying, I just risked my career for this woman. What the fuck am I doing? Well, then we, we get Jason and Chopper. We get another Jason and Chopper scene. Just Chopper. Or he, he's commenting and he's saying that uh, Chopper says you have to get really low. And it's like he, he's talking back and forth with Chopper. And he says, just go low as you can, mom, please. Um, so we got back to the battle and, um, what do y'all, let me ask, so I don't tell you what you don't already know. Uh, Spencer, what do you know about the, uh, the siege of Mandalore? Uh, some, somebody who didn't watch the show. 
Spencer? I think we lost Spencer. I can tell you. Yeah, what did you do? What do you know about the Siege of Mandalore? So I only know what they talked about on the Mandalorian. So I know that, I, I mean, th- yeah. we've talked about it a bit here by now. So I, I know that the Mandalorians held out and refused to submit and join the Empire and that using gas, e-gas, e-gas guns, they vaporized entire armies and they contaminated and they turned the whole planet to glass and told everybody that it was uh, dead. So this is before I, that. I, I, okay. I do love that, that basically Mandalore is they're having a bit of a crossover moment with Warhammer 40K of where they used Exterminatus on the, the planet Mandalore. That's how I understand how this worked. Yeah, basically like the way – so this – what happened was there's the Death Watch, right? And the Death Watch are members – they were like a group of Mandalorians who had a sideways, I think at best, view of how the – how Mandalore should be run. And they partnered with Darth Maul, who spoiler alert survived episode one and through Maul's leadership and being able to marshal resources, they were able to take over Mandalore. They took over Mandalore. And and for a while, Darth Maul was the the fucking leader of Mandalore, weirdly enough. And right as the episode three was starting, Ahsoka caught wind of this. She had already cut ties with Anakin, which she references in the scene here. She had already walked away from the Jedi, but Rex, she was still boys with. And so she partnered with Rex and she went in and she it was a wonderful fucking moment for Ahsoka. They came in, they kicked the shit out of the Death Watch. She beat Maul in one on one combat, which shows you just how strong she was. Um, And it was it was a really, I think, important part of her life when you are looking at her leadership skills. Right. So they were they were talking about in the last scene how she struggled with giving orders and when people would die because she gave a bad order, like how she struggled with that and he was trying to build her up and talk to her about it. So it, it does make sense to me that he would logically cut to one of her greatest greatest successes, the Siege of Mandalore, where she actually did really well and, and, and it worked out for her. It cut to that and that's where that's kind of where they start. And so Ahsoka looks a little older here. And she's fighting and she's fighting the mall, the mall troopers, like I, we call them colloquially, the mall troopers. Um, and we get Rex. And I don't know if you caught it, but that is the voice of the guy who played Tamara Morrison. Everybody, everybody. He plays everybody. Tamara Morrison. I don't, I don't think there's, I don't think we've ever had anybody have this many roles in Star Wars or almost maybe any show. This guy has had a lot of, a lot of different roles assigned to him. Jango Fett, Boba Fett, Captain Rex, other clones. Every clone trooper. On and on. And he tells her they're going to secure the perimeter. Then we get Anakin in the background. He goes, I don't know this battle. And she goes, Siege of Mandalore, we parted ways by now. And she, you know, he was not there. She says, look, he says, looks intense. She, she says it was. And he says, you did well. You're a warrior now. And uh, as I trained you to be. So that this is, I think, why they ended up here is that they, they, they're at the point of the timeline where they're like, you know, this, there was some success in what we did. Like, I trained you to be a warrior. I taught you to, to, lead troops and look at you doing it. Look at the success that you had here. Go ahead, Spencer. Uh, just a side note. Have you guys ever watched Star Trek Next, The Next Generation? Yeah, mostly. Uh, you remember the episode with Q Tapestry when he's going back through Picard's moments when he was at the Academy? I'm not sure. I don't know if I saw that one. Uh, this had very similar beats that if we're Anakin wasn't here, and he's amused to be watching a memory and experience that he wasn't part of. And I just enjoyed the comparisons between that of guiding her through a moment that he understands vaguely, but did not himself experience. 
I just want to point out that uh, I have a better answer to your question of how much do I know about the Siege of Mandalore. The answer is so little it's negative numbers since I honestly thought something completely different from a different time period. So I'm glad you could explain it to me. Yeah, this is later when uh, – yeah, you, what you – I think – what you remember, I think, is when Bo-Katan was leading and the Empire came in and was like, I'm going to bring you to heal and basically yep. blasted the whole thing. And yep. I think we're, we're almost, Jane and I are think about both in the same situation of we know enough about the Battle of Mandalore and the Siege of Mandalore to hang ourselves. We don't know enough to actually get to get it wrong, just because yep. we've seen so many different moments in the timeline without any ability to really put them in order. I think this is like, in my opinion, other than maybe what Ahsoka the White, this is probably Ahsoka at the peak of her powers right now. Mm. That's what we're that's what we're seeing, and that's why you see like even a different fighting style. She's got the two lightsabers, she's fucking rolling and kicking ass. And he says, "Look, Ahsoka, you will be everything I am. All the knowledge I possess, just like I inherited knowledge from my masters, and he from his." You're a part of a legacy. And she says, my, my legacy is death and war. He goes, but you're more than that. Cause I'm more than that. And that gets to what mm-hmm. Jamie was talking about. She says, you are more Anakin, more powerful and dangerous than anyone realized. And when she says that line, she said, I like Bactress crushes it because she says it with this hint of resentment and anger that she still feels that continues to bubble up in all of mm-hmm. her interactions with Anakin through this. And that's when he goes, so that's what this is about. Okay. Well, I get it now. And he pivots and he says, You've learned nothing. Back to the beginning. And then he's, then this is when he's going to make her confront it. He's starting to become Darth Anakin. This is before he gets into the suit, right? But it's when he is, he's Darth Vader pre-suit, basically. And, and in terms of just cinematography moments in this episode, one of the strongest yet of when he pushes her through, she flies back onto the bridge and what's it called? The place in between or whatever else? World Between Worlds, yeah. World Between Worlds. And then he walks into the moment, and that flash as he's just pumping himself up is perfectly well done. It's one of the better entrances I've seen in Star Wars. Yeah, I think it's it's wonder it's strangely wonderful that like in this sequence, Anakin is in enough command of everything to be able to say, okay, that's what you need to see. I'll show you that version of myself, and he can blink back out of it too. Like it's not it's not all or nothing, right? He can show it to her for a little while. She can feel it. She can address it. She can look at it head on. She has the fight with with Anakin there. Some fans I, I saw online were sort of bitching about the idea that like Ahsoka would best Anakin. I have no problem believing that. Go ahead, Spencer. Well, yeah, two, two things there. One, he, Anakin has now put on his uh, Revenge of the Sith um, face and mask and everything else. He's straight up got that red eye thing going on that he had in the third movie. Yep. Uh, which is, again, tapping into all you know concerns about falling and everything else that she opened just even heard about. But otherwise... There's Anakin is serving as a teacher here needs to lose. That's part of the point. So even if you think in his prime, he could they they beat her or whatever else. That's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to teach her a lesson and help her reach a moment. So losing is in many ways part of that. Right. He he he's not. I mean, it's, it's like if you're teaching somebody chess, you don't want to like lose on purpose. But the whole thing is, uh, he he. If she didn't fight back, I think he would have like gone through with the swing and it's like, all right, well, you're one with the force now because you were dying and you didn't want to go back mm-hmm. to be at rest and be at peace. And so that's what you get. You get to rest and be at peace. Um, so yeah, she, he, he, if he felt like he needed to, to get where he could get, he would have pulled the punches or something. He was mm-hmm. not. I have to, be- I have to believe that like he knows that she is good enough that she can do it. If she 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 can she can best him if she would lock in and care and fight. And that's why he went down this road with her. 
it's not hard to believe that Ahsoka would be would be a better fighter than Anakin. I mean, she was they they really put did, took a lot of pains to portray her in later seasons of the Clone Wars and then in Rebels as like one of the best fighters in the galaxy. It's not not hard to believe that she'd at least be on par with him. And they do a lot of really fun things. I feel like with the production, and I think Dave Filoni just kind of throws these things in because he's he has fun with it. Like how when he kicks her into the world between worlds and then he's taking a step into it himself, you hear the Vader breathing and mm-hmm. then you get a mix of the voices, which is very reminiscent of the Obi-Wan series when they Obi-Wan cut Vader's mask and you got like a half and half voice because it was mm-hmm. only half the voice box and kind of half out of it. It was almost the same exact voice that you got for just a couple lines from Anakin as he was coming and charging her. And then Spencer, you're right. He does have the red lightsaber and then he's also got the yellow eyes and almost like a different tinge of his skin as well. They do a lot of different stuff from a production standpoint to tell you he's undergone that transformation. Mm-hmm. And he yells, um, you lack conviction. He yells as he attacks her. He fights back, blocking and pushing, and they keep fighting. And uh, finally, she is able to uh, slip under him, slip around him, grab his own lightsaber, put it to his throat, hold it there, and then she dumps it. And that's when Anakin is able to drop the drop the Darth Anakin persona. Mm-hmm. That, that goes away, and he looks at her. And one thing I learned is that when Filoni was directing this because he wrote direct and produced this episode this is a Filoni special right here Mm -hmm. he told Hayden Christensen the way I want you to act with Ahsoka during all of this other than these like brief training periods is like you're seeing a daughter a long lost daughter again for the first time in like 20 years and I felt like when he dropped the whole he looked down and he dropped the the sort of dark side persona and he looked back up he gave her this like warm familial almost fatherly smile like i could see that the production notes coming out there and how he he looked at her and dealt with her and he just says there's hope for you yet and he disappears so there you go she fought and the distinction that they've been drawing she says when she when she's fighting him and she's defeated him but she drops the sword and says i choose to live again the distinction between i don't want to fight versus i choose to live i'm willing to fight for the sake of living the distinction that he's been trying to get her to understand, and she gets it, and so he's ready to send her back into the real world. So wait, I, wait, wait. I, I feel dumb, and, and hopefully your audience is dumb like me, so that I'm not just the only one here. Um, what's the distinction? Because it seems like you have to fight to live. They are the same thing. What, what did I miss? Do I need to have a flashback? Almost kill me. She kept on just using the sense of, I don't want to fight. I, I don't want to fight to not do anything to defend herself or not do anything to live. And now you're trying to point, point out to her, for the sake of living, you have to fight. But then by doing so, you can pick and choose your own path from there. Exactly. You don't fight. You're, you're not fighting for fighting's sake. You're not fighting because you're an, I'm asking you to be an inherently violent person or whatever. Or to carry you, forward my legacy the, of murder and destruction. This is the mentality you have to have to live and to continue to carry forward this legacy that you're born into, right? Like, in, or not born into, but like trained into, uh, you have to continue fighting to continue living. And she says, she goes, Oh, I get it. And she fought, 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 fought. And then tells him at the end of it, I choose to live. Basically, I see, I showed you, like I, I have fought. I'm going to keep fighting because I want to live. That, and, and I can not, fight yeah. without choosing ultimately to murder. I can fight without ultimately choosing to just embrace the violence that I associate with that part of you. So it's like if somebody thinks that they have to choose between making species go extinct or being a vegetarian. 
And so they try to be a vegetarian for a really long time, and they're very weak because they have no protein. And then they're finally realizing, I'm not killing animals to eat them because I want to do extinctions. I'm doing because I want to live and stop being tired all the time, and I need some iron in my diet. Jamie, we're here for you. I feel like you just really revealed something to us right now, but, you know, we appreciate you, man. Thank you for, I, thank I, you for talking with us today. I guess that means he gets it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, we got to record these like when my brain and blood sugar are different if you don't want me to make weird food analogies that only make sense for me. She calls out to him. Sending you five guys now. She looks around. <laughs> uh, we get oh, wait, some core music. Are bring me different food? I'm really hungry. Yeah, we can we can get you some food and a big shot of the world between worlds, and that's the end of that sequence and cuts you uh, still going to water. From a visual standpoint, I love how she exits the world of the water falls from the sky and it pools around her ankles to then fully encompass her. It was just a nice visual way of doing her exit. I I did right now think if I were her, I was putting myself in her shoes right there. I would think, wait, okay, you haven't really explained this. Am I supposed to fight drowning or give in to drowning right now? <laughs> I don't want to, like, just drown on purpose now. Is this the fight? Hmm. I, I was very unclear whether she was supposed to fight drowning or give in to drowning right now. Don't know if she reached a resolution there. Luckily, X-Wing divers are here to help. So there's a lot of discussion about, like, what this was. And I th- I'll tell you what I thought it was. I thought that Ahsoka either did die or was on the verge of dying. She she certainly, her life was in danger. And Anakin pulled her into the world within worlds because that was, that's this the space, uh, the world between worlds, where he could effectively do what he needed to do to communicate the message he wanted to communicate to her. That was the only place where he could do it because in the world between worlds is where he can go back in time, show her specific areas, uh, you know, in, in time and, and specific moments. And that's where she, he needed to bring her to. We, the world between worlds historically, you can only get into it two, two ways. One is through a portal. So if that was the case, she happened to have fell into a portal off the cliff. Yeah. I don't love that. Or two, Anakin pulled her into it, which I like better. Now there's also a lot of discussion about if Anakin actually had the ability to stay in the manifest in the physical world the way that Obi-Wan and Yoda did that they're some canon to suggest that he had never learned how to do that. So it's not realistic mm-hmm. that he did, but we actually saw him doing that in return of the Jedi, that he was yeah. still manifesting in the physical world. So I'm going to choose to believe that he is still hanging around. He's still around. He was watching her and that he, he used the world within the world between worlds as a, a training space for her to give her a sort of final test, which is, Hey, are you ready to, to be done? Are you ready to, to come with me, you know, and be one with the force and be over? Or are you ready to continue fighting? And he, he got an answer. He got there. She wanted to keep fighting. So she she left and went back. That's what I believe it was. There's a lot of people who think like maybe this was this just all happened in her head or that that this wasn't the actual world between worlds because we didn't see any portals while we were in it. And in the cartoons, you actually saw portals in it. So it can go really deep. So there's a lot of interpretations about what it was. I would be happy personally if Lelone never really gave concrete answers and kind of let people watch it and interpret it the way they wanted to. Because, like, the interpretation that I got from it was super pleasing to me. I really thought it was great. And I liked that, the, like, I was able to see it, you know, put, uh, find my own interpretation of it that worked for me. And that strengthened the series for me. The fact that the little young one kid 
heard lightsabers, as if he was tapping into the force and, you know, experiencing that, I think lends a lot of credence to your preferred theory here that this was happening in a state in some way with respect to the force. Yeah. Is that what you think, Spencer? Yes. I I don't think this was just in her head. I don't think this was a, a, I don't think this was her own little instant at Owl Creek Bridge kind of moment. I think that she actually was experiencing this in a moment brought on by Anakin. Nice Twilight Zone reference there. I like I'm here it. for you. No, um, look, I so I I agree, and, and what I have to back it up is no one can hold their breath that long. <laughs> like, like this, this is ours, and I don't know what her species is, but I think if she were not unconscious and were twenty feet underwater for hours, she'd be just dead, dead. So it was not. It was not that because she was also not like. It wasn't like she had landed on some rocks and was unconscious. She just slipped in. She was far out to sea and deep underwater uh, when they rescued her. So, no, it's not just in her head as she's dying. My theory is that whether or not this is the same world between worlds as everything else, I kind of don't care because I don't know about that. This was you're having a near-death experience, and you're either from here going to go with me into the light and become one with the Force, or you're going to go back. And so, you know, we're going to – we, we have an opportunity to talk. I'm going to test you and maybe help you some in making this decision for yourself. And you're going to get what, you know, you think you should have kind of thing. So this was not not limbo because um, it really is just uh, like like the ga- the pearly gates themselves for the force. And I'm going to assume that everybody who's force strong goes through this place when they're dying and just most of them keep going or are so dead they don't have anywhere to go back to. Maybe they don't remember. Maybe. Maybe most of them, when they die, they don't remember. They have nowhere to go back to. They just are dead because they – that's how it works. In the new canon, they explain it uh, as most people, when they die, go into what they, they term the void, which is like eternal peace and rest, and it's it's over. Basically, you're, you're just gone. But like Jedi and people who are particularly strong with the Force are able to hang on for as long as they are needed to continue to be around, to continue to help guide things until they eventually do go into the void. So like even Yoda, who seemingly hung around a long time, right? Because we saw him again in what episode eight, um, he, he will eventually go and pass into the void. He just is hanging around because he feels like he's needed. So I actually, I also love um, this, the parallels and differences between this and what we, Kind of got from the Sith. My favorite thing for episode nine was just the idea of why there's only two and how it's really kind of the same guy. It's kind of a reincarnation to the new one. And it, it, it's their way. If they can't go to the world between worlds, if they can't hang on, I, I'm, I'm mixing two things that may or may not actually connect, but they connect to my head. If they can't hang on that normal way, if they can't do force ghost on the Sith side, because the dark side doesn't work that way. You know, if it's if for them, it's just either death or death as their only option, the idea of bastardizing this, the idea of, you know, corrupting the Jedi idea of you are everything that I and my master, his master were into a really stronger version, but really perverse and like self-destructive. Love it. Love it. So much. Uh, just, to, just to draw a Legends comparison, yep. I think the Legends did something similar with respect to Force Ghost, how, how the connection works and how it stops. It just One of my biggest cry moments in all of Star Wars Legends was that last moment that Obi-Wan talked with Luke and basically just said, we've grown, that I, I, I can't really maintain, maintain contact with you. We've fulfilled the purpose. The, the distances between us have grown too large. 
and just expresses his last thoughts and support for him. One of my biggest cry moments in Legends. So I'm glad that that's carrying through in some aspects of the Disney canon. Yeah, on the ship, Ahsoka's sleeping. We see some time pass. She wakes up, looks around, is contemplative. Uh, her ship kind of comes to life, and Hu Yang greets her. A little bit of the New Hope theme plays in the background. Just a couple chords. Hu Yang tells her that she might have been lost for good without Jason. She's like, Jason's here. And he goes, yeah, 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 he's here with his mother, a full squadron of X-Wings. And on unauthorized, of course. She asks about Sabine, and Hugh Yang's like, ah, we were going to ask you that, hoping you could explain where she went. Ahsoka just looks around. She gets up, she walks out the ship, and she hugs Jason. Now, I got my notes here, Ahsoka the White, in all caps, with an exclamation point. So I think that, like, New Pancho. here's how this kind of jives for me and why it works, is that I did not recognize this Ahsoka, and I was like, I complained about it on this podcast over and over again. I was like, what is going on with this character? They gave me an explanation about what was going on with her, and on the other side of this is Ahsoka I recognize a little bit more. It seems a little bit more like her, and she's kind of sprung to life a little bit, right? So she's changed. She's transformed through this experience. I think what Filoni's doing here is I've only got 45 minutes for this episode. I'm going to give you a little fantasy shorthand. If I put her in white, if I put her in white, everybody remembers Gandalf the White, everybody will remember what that is, and they'll immediately get what I'm trying to do here, that she's come out the other side of death, she's transformed, and she has a higher purpose now than she did before. She's one with the Force, and she's ready to go. That's also just what happens to clothing when it comes sun-bleached and covered in salt water for a few hours. (laughs) I know. Wouldn't it be hilarious if she just stopped dressing in white the next episode? We all went crazy by the soak of the white, and it just goes away. Oh, what a fate. What a hezzy that would be. Next episode opens with her just looking down and saying, oh, man, I used the wrong temperature setting on the wash. Shit. <laughs> yeah, I just, God, I got to get rid of the bleach in the in the ship. And she just puts on something like uh, like a, f- a blue frock or something. Yeah, that would fuck with me. I expect her to dress in white from here on out. And I would be so happy if she does. I hope she does. But a, a thing that uh, the droids have also been pushing on her, too, is her own personal connection with the Jedi Code. This is also just a visual indication that she's more comfortable with exploring that connection and that background and that history as well as part of going forward. And that's, again, why I thought I kind of drew a parallel with what Anakin was doing also with the trials, right? That she comes out the other side and, like, she is going to adhere to the Jedi way now. She probably likely... I would like to see in the writing her call herself a Jedi now. She's dressing like what? She's a soak of the white. It all works. She's the once and future Jedi. She's the true king of England. <laughs> she didn't even have to pull a sword. So I mean, she did, like, out of her enemies when she stabbed them. But most of them lived because, you know, lightsaber wounds aren't, aren't, aren't fatal. Uh, uh, other than a weird smoke guy, which, man, I'm, I, I regret I didn't get to watch that episode with you guys to be able to process that scene. <laughs> Did, oh, did, did you hear our episode? Do you know? I've, I've figured out what that dust is. What? What is the dust? Is he nanites? Is he is he a weird force ghost confined by means of suit? What is going on? As our listeners will remember, that's what happens. That dust is what the witches use when they're interacting with you and the fucking witches. No, no, no. In the old show. That's what it is. There's always green dust when the witches do their force magic stuff. So they're interacting with the force through like magic potions, incantations, whatever. Sure. So, what have we learned? The force is controlled through metachlorians that have a physical presence, and they <laughs> freeze-dried them, and you can snort that. Spencer's and just if, left. <laughs> if you throw freeze-dried like freeze-dried uh, sea monkeys, just throw the metachlorian powder on somebody like Cheeto dust, they can come back to life. No! 
Spencer no. quit. He's just yelling no and throwing his microphone. Yeah, I, I didn't think he'd like the midichlorian example. That no. is, I, I do think the implication, though, is that freeze-dried midichlorians. He was. He was. He How was, do you make something already bad even worse? What is this talent? By taking stuff out of people's blood and then snorting it. That's how I made it worse. Hey, for the sake of my own sanity and happiness in this world, please continue. So Ahsoka says, thanks. I think I owe you my thanks, right, Jason? He says, I heard you fighting. And that piques her interest. She goes, oh, you did. I think I think she's going to take a mental note of that, that Jason she, heard what was going on in the world between worlds a little bit. I think that is interesting to her. She, she has been a very absentee aunt. If she's just now processing this kid is powerful in the force. They sort of dismiss Jason to the Jedi starship. He's excited to see the training room. And Hera asks Ahsoka about where Sabine is. She goes, well, the last time I saw Sabine, she was holding this. So Ahsoka holds the broken map, trying to remember a, they term it impression here. She gets some audio of the scene from the last episode. She hears the part that she missed, the part after she went over the cliff, which is, Sabine, you will be reunited with your friend. Do it for Ezra. And, of course, then Sabine handing over the map. This is her this is her Sherlock Holmes detective mode that we commented on in episode two that she's using again. Seems like they can do that now. I, this is new to me. I hadn't, I've not seen it anywhere in the canon, but they're in, they 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 gave it a term this time. They called it. She specifically called it trying to get an impression. So maybe that's a term they'll use going forward. It's, it seems like they're saying that the force, being that it's everywhere, can also leave a lasting itself memory on location that one, if they're powerful in the force, can tap into and process through. If I, I'm starting to have some faith in Filoni here. I, I, I think we'll probably get more about this later. Yeah. Um, I, so I can't decide if I like it or not. I'm just going to say I'm, I'm going to loudly say my indecision. The idea that different people can do different stuff with the Force. That there's sometimes something that just look. Some people can use Force healing, and some people can't. And some people can do X, Y, and Z, and some people that's just not a thing that they have an ability for is interesting to me. And the idea that every force user might just discover something more or less new that they can do with the force that other folks can't. And maybe that's what a lot of their Jedi training is, is that you naturally can't do X, but you could be taught to, you know, Qui-Gon figured out on his own how to force go apparently. And then with the each Yoda to do it. Um, I kind of like that. I kind of don't, because it kind of turns the force into even more of a MacGuffin of it does Whatever we want it to in this episode, it doesn't have any rules whatsoever, and each person can just do whatever seems helpful for the story. So I don't know how I feel about it. Do either of you have strong feelings about the new Force Powers thing? Uh, I'm okay with it. I mean, there, there's been things in the lore before about the Force itself having, having stronger presence or stronger connections or a lasting memory associated with certain locations, the Valley of the Jedi being one I've always been fond of kind of thing. So I'm all right with that. I'm also all right with the idea that the Force can express itself in terms of different abilities and different natural tendencies in certain people. Like Bastila, in terms of being able to use battle meditation, as being something that she's uniquely powerful and strong in as just part of her background. Or seeing Balon in a prior episode, in the, an episode ago, where he's just really good at being able to force his way into people's consciousness and mine information. So we saw him get, being able to do that. So I'm all right with it. It's not the, It's not one that we've had so heavily established previously in the lore, but given that the force is everywhere and people can tap into it in different ways, I, I, I don't think it stretches the bounds for me that much. It's something I'm willing to roll with pretty, pretty easily. I would have liked it better if we, she 
did not, if this did not happen earlier in the season and Ahsoka is able to do it now. I've completely, I've, as you can tell, I've completely bought in you on like the idea. This Ahsoka. I like that the idea that she's transformed and that she's in balance now and like balance, not in the way that like people use it in Star Wars. It makes me so crazy when they think like balance means there has to be Sith and Jedi. That's that doesn't, not, doesn't mean that's that. not balance. Balance means that at peace that there's a, there, that there's, um, stability. And that's how, that's what, that's what's within her is that there's peace, stability, there's balance within her and she's leveled up a bit. I, I've bought into that concept heavily. So I would really have liked it if this was something that we see her do now that she did not do before. But the fact she'd done it before, it kind of kills that whole thing. Um, I'm, I'm less okay with it than Spencer, but not angry. I, I was okay with it before just because I would have felt otherwise it might have been too much of a deus ex machina that she just suddenly has an ability that we not previously been ever set up before in the lore or seen that she can do. Yeah, if all of a sudden she now just had whatever new power she needed, I would. I I hate when anybody ever calls any character a Mary Sue because look, you, you get you're, you need your main character to be awesome and you need them to have whatever skills they need to have. But there's a certain point where it's the writers just said, oh yeah, Superman has laser vision now because shut up because <laughs> um, yeah. If they really had just said, well, now she can see a few days in the past because we need her to, I would then wait and say, well, what new power are they going to say she just can do now just so that there's no stakes in anything and she'll just get a new power whenever she needs it, like like a Metroid power-up, right, when you meet the door that you need that to do. Um, so I, I'm kind of glad that it's not just a level up of um, plot device. We're also going to see her speak to space whales for the first time here in a minute, too, so they only can do too many new powers in one episode. Hey, 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 if I can hold if I can hold my tongue until we get to it, we get there when we get there. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think if you've I think if you've proactively really bought into the concept that she would be more powerful afterwards, then I think you'd be like me, less likely to see it as a convenient plot device. I can see how you would say that. I mean, it, it is convenient in the plot, but I, that I, I've already bought before she does it. I've already bought into she's stronger. They've done the work to make me believe that. So these other things start to feel earned and not just convenient. That's how it would be for me. And I hope, I, I think we're probably going to get some of that, by the way, I think this conversation is like relevant because I do think Ahsoka has leveled up and I do think we're going to see her do some weird shit going forward. And we'll have to talk about like, is this, is this Ahsoka the white or is this something that we've seen other characters do or whatever? I would have liked, with respect to her flashing back and experiencing this prior moment, I would have liked if we got a little bit more of an emotional reaction on the subject of the fact that Sabine voluntarily hands over the MacGuffin to Balon. That she plays through the scene, she presumably sees or experiences that Sabine does this in a way betrays their cause, however you want to interpret it, kind of whatever else, but she does not seem to emotionally react to that at all. Did y'all see my, this is my... Oh, that's a lot of hand waving there. Oh, no, that, no, that's not, not hand waving. What I meant to do is say, okay. oh, that's Sabine. That's so Sabine. <laughs> that's what I think Ahsoka's You doing. little like, whippersnapper. Ah, sounds like her. So in that moment, what I take is um, maybe because she's at peace, maybe because she's balanced. Like, I actually took, look, if you want to give Ahsoka some bad news, if you want to betray her, now's the time to do it. She's riding high on Zen, and the, she, she just snorted the midichlorians of the universe. She is riding a peace and love train, and she said, I think in this Literally moment... Literally riding it. Yeah, she, she said, well, look, I had just died, as far as she knew. Sabine was surrounded by enemies, and loves her friend, 
she kind of didn't have any good options right then. I, I sympathize with her in a way that if she hadn't just almost died and like become Zen, she would have been like, that fucking asshole. She fucking lied to me. I knew she was going to do it and I told her not to do it. And she said she would and she fucking did it. Yeah. She's very lucky that this was her near death experience day. I think. Yeah, because otherwise Sabine very, very in one fell swoop screwed over the entire galaxy for the sake of maybe acquiring her possible sort of boyfriend who actually doesn't see her that way. (laughs) Oh, no, he sees her that way. He sees her that way. And who she has no reason to think is alive. I want to say it again. Like, yes, he's alive because it's a TV show, but she has no reason to actually think that. Now, Now, Lee, you told me that he only saw her as like a sister. He does see her romantically? No, no, he, he sees her. Yeah, he, he sees her romantically for sure. Yeah, I, I, if, I don't know what I was, I, I, I trust you that I said that, but I can't remember what I was remembering. But yeah, he, he basically pines for her for like the first three seasons. And gotcha. then she, and she, but the, she's also portrayed as much older than him too, which it'll be interesting to see how they cast Ezra because she looks pretty young in this, right? Like, I don't know how they're going to cast Ezra, but no, that she, they, he very much felt romantic about her. I think that she probably does. I think they're probably just going to run with that. They probably won't give us any more explanation than just they'll go, hmm, face motion. Boom. There we go. I imagine that's how they'll roll with this. Uh, all right. Let's get back to the recap here. Um, Carson says fleet's coming. I don't think they're coming to help. Mm. Um, didn't we get a princess Leia fucking reference in here too? Princess Organa Organa reference. Yep. I, I loved it. I heard it and I, it, I had to do a double take because I was not expecting it. But just the idea that she would help, she would trust you. You're her kind of general, honestly, uh, to a certain extent. Maybe less competent than I would expect her to have. But, you know, it, somebody who really understands threats are threats. And bureauc- bureaucracy exists to serve the cause. The cause doesn't exist at the you know whim of the bureaucracy. I loved it. I just had a massive brain fart. What planet is she a senator of again? Who, Organa? Yeah. Alderaan? Alderaan's dead. Alderaan doesn't think you son of a bitch. No, it can't be Alderaan. It's not, the be Alderaan. She's not a senator of an Why asshole. Not? Why can't you? If planet's still there, my man. It's just, it's, uh. Why can't you? It, it got broken up. No one's an... living there. There's no oh. voting group. Look, the Empire has very strong rules against monopolies, and there was only one Alderaan. They made lots of littler Alderaans. So that they can compete against each other in the free market. Anyway, are you suggesting that they just basically did the California nuclear option of into five states to get more senators? Kinda. She's <laughs> not a senator of Alderaan. She's the senator of Alderaan planet lit chunk number 5004. <laughs> hey, I, 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 we, I just, we colonized it with some mold. It is a living hunk. I, I, I actually meant the question legitimately because I really don't even remember from the legends what the planet she was the center of. Maybe it's Coruscant? Maybe it's Corellia? I'm guessing it's some core world, but I just really don't remember the answer to that question. So, so we, um, my, I don't know. Let me look it up. Y'all talk. Cynicism's okay. come in, and I'm going to say it is either Tatooine because fucking No. Me. No. It's done enough. <laughs> I'm going to say it's Tatooine, actually. I'm going to say it. Because where was her grandmother from? Tatooine. Eh, fine, sure. Uh, maybe that can work. 
She's could, could it could be where her mom's from, maybe. Y'all keep talking. Yeah, you're, uh, still looking, you're still looking this up? Oh, yeah. yeah, it's not easy to find. It's either Tatooine where her dad's from or um, whatever. My brain's blanking. Uh, Southern Italy, where her mom's from. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm looking at actually where Padme was from, because I've suddenly forgotten completely what the name of that planet is. That Naboo. Naboo. Yeah, the planet Naboo. Very good. It, Naboo could work. Could, could be Naboo if it's not the you know, Coruscant or, you know, some other, some, some other with a central main human core world. Which I brainworms. I could only even think of Naboo to think of the Naboo. Oh, the maybe Naboo fighter is the only way I could come up with the name of Naboo. Maybe. Yeah, like, okay. Viceroy Bail Organa represented the Alderaan Sector in the Galactic Senate. Princess Leia, Leia later was a successor. Maybe it's the whole sector. Maybe it's the whole area. Other colonized uh, worlds there? So, I, actually, so okay. I, yeah. I have an answer and a real answer now. The real answer is, fine, Alderaan, the planet, was like the capital of the solar system. Yeah, but 95. Yeah, th- yeah, there's other planets. And so, you know, she yeah, is th- still in charge of those. Those other planets' orbits are screwed as a result of events that have occurred. But, yeah, sure, 95% of the population is dead, but there, there are way stations in other colonized worlds. My second theory is, look, she used to only be in charge of one planet, but now we've taken that planet and sprinkled it through an entire system. So now she's in charge of everything the dust touches. So anyway, I'm going to I'm going to say that she actually is doing Dantooine as an apology for the fact that she tried to get them killed instead of her own planet. That she's now doing penance by representing those people in the Galactic Senate. Cuts him on Mothma talking to Hera and they go back and forth a little bit. And she basically is like, hey, look, do you have evidence of Imperial activity or that Grand Admiral Thrawn's coming back? And Hera's like, no, I don't don't have that. And she goes, "Okay, well, you're you're basically fucked up here. You get to come back to Coruscant, bring Ahsoka with you, which. You know, much as I do respect Mon Mothma, I want to be like good fucking luck with that. You 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 tell her to come. Uh, <laughs> y- y- y'all can y'all can <laughs> send four or five more of those fleets. Ahsoka comes if she wants to. That's it. You're not going to command her, and that's basically kind of what Hera's like. Hera's like, I don't know. That's kind of a tough sell on her. Tough sell on me. And it, we kind of leave with the threat dangling from Mon Mothma that the Senate is thinking about revoking her authority uh, in the military of her position, basically. And she looks at Carson and says, I don't know how you're scoring this, but we're losing right now. Again, biggest top five things I most hate in the transition from Legends to Disney lore that Mon Mothma now just kind of sucks. She's an ineffectual or even vaguely corrupt politician. Um, okay, disagree, though I don't want to get into it because I don't really have a good way to disagree with words. I just, my, my gut says you're wrong. And that's <laughs> it. Uh, second, are you suggesting that Hare is not good at negotiating with senators and protecting herself and explaining her own actions to a tribe? Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. Our Hera? No. Then, Ahsoka the White says, I know how to follow Sabine, and they fly toward the Purgles, and I shall cede the floor to you, Jamie. Please discuss. I, I, I'm going to Socratic, you guys. I want you to tell me, I want you to tell me first. Uh, what do they breathe? I suspect that they are like a alligator, maybe, or something like that. That can take like one lung full of oxygen and then can like go without for an extended period of time. I think they, I think they get, they, I think it's oxygen 
And I think that's why they're in atmosphere. But I think that they can fill up those big old lungs they got and then just fucking chill. Three possibilities. I kind of like that answer, actually. Um, I I don't have – I made it sound as if I have some – you know, primrose path. I'm going to lead you down with these questions. I don't. I kind of just want answers to these. I kind of like that answer. What Spencer's three? Possibility. Uh, I agree with Lee. That was most likely my, in my mind is that effectively they function like air camels when, in terms of going, going between planets. Uh, option number two. It's perfectly possible they actually are just anaerobic and don't actually maintain oxygen the way that we do, given that they're a completely different life form that actually operates in the void itself. Option number three, they actually create some element of atmosphere around themselves through what they actually, you know, acquired in terms of going through space. And option four is they breathe metachlorians. Okay, second question. Yeah, stop it. What do they eat with that baleen? Space dust. Okay, I, you, you, I'm not sure there's enough space dust except around Alderaan. No, there literally aren't. They, they, I, they, have, they have to just go between worlds and eat things on worlds. There's not. There's nothing in space. It's. A I think boring. they eat. I think they. I think they spend most of their time in atmosphere, and I think they probably eat birds. And I think that they fill up, and then they fucking fill up with oxygen in their lungs. They fill up with some birds in the belly, what? and then they jump out and they go to hyperspace and jump to another planet. I mean, the fact that it's literally fucking baleen. Means they have to be filter feeders. <laughs> Otherwise, right. there's no point to them eating baleen. Right. So it has to be something that they skim out of the atmosphere of various worlds. Like maybe like birds. Maybe birds. Maybe it's high plankton kind of worlds in terms of the atmosphere. Maybe it's a gas giants kind of thing where they just swoop through and I'm, process minerals or things I'm, from that. Does baleen like the size of a small tree? Uh, bacteria are going to go between them. Like sure. bir- birds are probably more size appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do they fly in atmosphere? How do they float? They're very heavy. Uh, given that they can travel at hyperspace-related speeds, it's clearly that they've got some kind of natural repulsor system, you know, developed through their biology. Okay, they, they, they can, well, either through anti-gravity or through using the force to lift themselves, which most people can't do, but maybe that's just, pergles can just lift themselves. All right, so... I, I kind of like your answer of, look, they go down to planets the same way that a whale, the same way that a whale goes up to the surface to get air and get, you know, their, their whales live way down deep sometimes, but there's not really food down there. They mm-hmm. go up top, get food, get air and go back down for safety. They come to a planet, they eat fish, they get air, then they go back into space. I, I actually kind of buy that. If they have anti-gravity or force flying powers, what do they think their side Flippers are doing. Uh, it perfectly possible, and I hate to say this, but it does have an evolutionary basis. They could effectively be, be vestigial. They could effectively be something that they have maintained because evolution isn't neat uh, from a prior actually confined to one world state before they have since evolved as a species to be able to go between different planets. Also, also, if they could be used those once they actually go down to worlds as part of their feeding process. No, because when they go down to worlds, they have to use the force or their anti-gravity powers to not, like, fall like a friggin' petunia plant of whales that just crash to the ground. So they don't do that. It's not useful in atmosphere. Well, it could be useful underwater, though, once they choose, like, uh, I've used, I'm using my force abilities that takes a lot of energy. Now I'm going to use my flippers for a little while as an alternative means of locomotion. But then they'd fall if they stop, and they crash to the ground. No, no. Once they hit the waves, and once they're now under the water, seeching, maybe they're like, you know. When do they go under the water? 
We've never seen them in the water. Look, if they can survive. We haven't seen them outside of hyperspace before now. Look, there's a quote that I loved, and I actually never even seen the thing the quote was from. But it was, oh, okay, the spaceship. We're coming down out of space. We're going down. Uh, how many PSI, how many pounds per square inch, how many atmospheres of pressure can this ship do? Because we need to go underwater. And they said, well, this is a spaceship. So I'd say between zero and one atmosphere is what makes us not crush. We're built to, like, be in a vacuum, not to be underwater. If they go underwater, they should implode because they're built to be in space or maybe air, not crushing depths. Uh, see, see theory on the subject of how they breathe in space. Maybe they can actually create their own atmosphere around themselves kind of thing, which would allow them to maintain pressure in different in different environments. See, you talk about the evolutionary thing. I, I actually reject the vestigial thing. Maybe you're right, but uh, it, it seems too close to something functional and still uses energy by flapping. And, you know, I, I don't think they would have changed into having these force powers like overnight. So I think the way they would have had to stop be at least functional. Most vestigial things, I think, don't do stuff. Um, but you've made me remember that evolution's a thing. So that means it's a sex thing. <laughs> yes. Like, the, I, 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 it, I, I, it's straight up sexual. This is, this is the sake of sexual presentation is, yes. man, look at the flipper on that dude. These are their peacock feathers. And that's, it frust- I, I, I'm saying this seriously and also smacking my own forehead that I have to admit this. But if you have a body part that's big, showy on the outside and waves it doesn't around, make sense. It's to attract a mate. Yep. Yodas, yeah. who, 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 I'm still sticking with the whole, these are all the girls and all the boys are Yodas. And that's also, my Also, just as a general statement, I, these were in the very much the category of things that I preferred if they just operated in hyperspace. I preferred if they were just the dragons that we didn't actually get to spend time with as if they were just a regular biological organism. And now we're trying to, you know, assign a certain degree of understanding to something that we were able to previously get away with as just being weird and different and outside our understanding. So now they're just, a migra- would, now, now, would, now they're just migrating birds. I would argue that this podcast is doing that. Oh, <laughs> All that all that Filoni did is just show you them in atmosphere. I don't think he's necessarily inviting quite the questions and the scrutiny that we're put. I, I'll tell you this, Jamie, like you're not going to like this, but this is just a reality that you're just going to have to run with with the Purgles because this is this is reality. The reality of the Purgles is they're supposed to be mysterious and they're more connected to the force than any other creature that we see. And they except for maybe, galaxies. except for maybe the owl that follows Ahsoka around. But every other creature, the Purgles are more locked into the Force than the rest of them. Okay, uh, we're going to talk about owls offline because I don't even know what you're talking about. But what I want owl? To, but, no. Anyway, no. Nope, the Ahsoka nope. owl, my friend. Episode. I'm, I'm hitting my buzzer real loud. That's not in this show. Um, whatever it is, he might have made it up. I don't care. It's not in the show. Um, I, I'm really going to do the <laughs> Kim motion of, oh, when he when they said, oh, it's the Force, he's like. All right, fine. I was like, that's what Lee was telling me to do with Purgles. And then they made me do it with Purgles, right? I'd be like, you're trying to make me care about Purgles, but you want me to just throw up my hands and say, they're, they're space whales. They're one with the Force. That's why, that's why Ahsoka communes with them so well. Back to the recap. If they were one with the Force, they'd be in the world between worlds. They're not ready to die yet. Unless they, I don't know, hit a, hit a, ship or something her plan Uh, was to go out and talk to them she gets on the edge of the ship she sticks her hands up she talks to one of them she gets in the mouth and then she kind of lets it be known to hu yang in a really sort of funny moment and this is more the ahsoka that i'm used to hu yang's like oh so uh you know we going to wherever or whatever and she's like yeah i have no fucking idea basically i don't know where they're going uh 
he just she's bullshitting him, right? In essence, in essence, what I took from that is that Ahsoka basically said, "Hey, can I can I hitch a ride?" And it said, "Yeah." And she said, "Okay, cool. Hope we get where we're going. All good." And then she's just sort of at one with the world, at peace. She goes, "What will be, what will be." That's how we end up the episode. Yeah. yeah. The fact that she basically literally just tried to commune with them and talk with them, and the only thing that she got was, uh, I'm Come aboard. And the whale said, fine. Kind of yeah. bothers me. Because the, the whale doesn't know where Thrawn is, as far as we're concerned. It doesn't. Why would she possibly think of all the thousand places these whales go that that's the one spot this one happens to be going? Or she like, thinks that she can probably have a conversation with it once she's in the mouth. In the mouth. Well... Two, two, two things, um, maybe more. Uh, one, I assumed that she was just play, having fun and being sarcastic. I didn't think that she actually literally meant that. I thought she was just actually cracking a joke in a way that she hasn't been willing to all season. and just. Oh, I like that. I love that. I'm going to choose to believe that. Tell me your other idea, though. Uh, the other idea is that they did establish that the whales are making use of, a lot of are in some ways aware of uh, connections between galaxies that are in some ways set. And so in many ways, there is only kind of one point to another point to connect between the galaxies, oh. and then they can go from there. So it's at least getting you to the zone, getting you closer to where you know you need to go, because that's just the migratory paths that they take. This is this is their migratory path, and the, the way that we figured out is by following their migratory path. So right. they won't know literally the planet, because, again, there's multiple episodes in the season, so there's going to have several episodes of where they have look in the other galaxy. But they're getting to the other galaxy in the area where they need to go. All right. I, I, I accept those things. Wow. You guys have made me like mostly okay with Burgles. She'll likely, she'll likely commune with it a little bit more too. Like, I mean, I, the, the ability of the Purgles to commune with force sensitive people is pretty established in new canon. So like she will likely continue to be able to do that. I like Spencer's idea that she was kind of joking with Huyang. I think it was likely, like it was probably come some combination of the two where, uh, I'm not sure she got the Purgle saying, Oh, Thrawn. Yeah, I know exactly who that guy is. Let me take you to Thrawn. But at the same time, she We're probably, it probably wasn't just, uh, like, you know, basically the Millennium Falcon just going into some asteroid and just hoping. Last two things. And sorry, I keep having two things. Uh, one, just in terms of other, you know, this, the last few episodes have done a lot of references to prior Star Wars or to other science fiction. Have you guys seen Star Trek Four: or Voyage Home? Yes. I've never seen any Star Trek thing ever. We will fix that someday, my friend, I assure I don't you. I don't know if you're serious or not, because if not, we're watching them all. <laughs> some oh, of them no, wait, there's some real bad ones. There's some some of them ones. suck. <laughs> uh, but this is straight up her uh, Spock moment of when he's commuting with the whales in the tank and getting, a, getting the whales to agree to work, help them out in their mission. This is straight up parallel kind of moment. She's commuting with the space whale. Or what will, in that, in that movie, someday be a space whale. Um, other thing, uh, I, w- I was really almost just hoping when she was talking with this whale that the whale strip says, oh, Thrawn, yeah, that was that fuck that was on my back the other day. Yeah, I'm going to help you take him down. So yeah, I, I would take it more of her saying, hey, the ship that just left, follow. We, we need to follow that. Can you can follow you that car? And, and right, the whale's like, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> What do we want to do for nostalgic moment of the episode? I, I can give you a couple, I guess. Um, go ahead, Spencer. I, mean, I think the nostalgic moments need to be dominated by you, but I think the overarching one just for me is the, the continued re, the return and the continued improvement and quality credit to Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker. 
that has a nostalgic moment for me in terms of their use of Anakin quite successfully in this episode. It worked well for me, even though I don't have the same nostalgic connections to him that I, I know you do. Yep. I, yep. I'm, I'm going to, I'll pick one, but it's almost arbitrary what I picked. The when he's walking away and it flashes into the Darth Vader thing. Cause yeah. I just thought visually it was like gorgeous. It, it still only mostly makes sense to me, even after you guys explaining it, like in character, why it's happening. But as a for the audience is happening because we remember it and because we need to come to terms with him being both and because we like seeing it and it's just awesome and it feels good. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So uh, a few things, uh, the, the name drop of Senator Organa, mm-hmm. the death watch helmets, which were particularly mm-hmm. neat. They kind of look like mall. If you notice, they have the little, the yeah. spikes, which were cool. Yeah. Uh, Anakin does the lightsaber flip behind the back. Hayden Christensen does that move, which he apparently really knows how to do. And when he goes to cons, we'll do it for the audience. But it's a he flips the, the lightsaber around his back. It says, I think it's maybe the third time he's done it. Did it once in the prequels, did it once in the Kenobi show during the training sequence. And then again now uh, like that a lot. Um, what else did we have for? Oh, Captain Rex. Shout mm-hmm. out Captain Rex. That was a really cool moment. And then I think probably the, the, the final thing would be, uh, Ahsoka the White. I, I didn't never, I never thought I would pick a nostalgic moment of the episode that harkens back to Tolkien, but I'm nostalgic what? for Tolkien because I got Ahsoka the White. I've seen pictures. Wasn't she wearing white in Rebels at certain times too? Yeah. I mean, but it was like, it was never, uh, no. I mean, it, it, not, not all white like this and it wasn't like, a constant. It was, she was just where, well, yeah, it, it, she, yeah. The same person wasn't always wearing the same clothes every single day of their life. Like, that was funny. Yeah, she, for the most part, would wear, I think, I think in later, late, older Ahsoka, I think, were a combination of blue and white, and younger Ahsoka were, were brighter colors, I think. Mm. So there you go. And then, uh, yeah, and then I also really like the idea that Ahsoka, Ahsoka could could actually best. I'm going to choose in my mind that Ahsoka actually could beat Anakin one on one. That's right. She hit his lights. She hit his helmet. Like it already happened, didn't it? Well, not really, um, because she got got a strike in on him in that in that sequence, and then um, she said, but when she saw his face, she was like, "Oh God, what am I doing? I, I can't fight you. I'm not going to leave you again. I'm not going to leave you again." And he was like, "Ha." bitch and he went to kill her and Ezra pulled her in the world within worlds I, I, that's one of the moments that we actually saw that people can pull people into it because as she was about to die from from Vader's stroke Ezra pulled her in and saved her okay. I think, but, but she she has held her own and gotten the upper hand on him in the past yeah for sure it's it's it, to, to me it's completely reasonable that she could beat him yeah and uh, like you know more about the modern lightsaber styles than I do, but it, I think the last episode showed that Balon has a similar kind of aggressive strength focused lightsaber style to Anakin uh, in terms of the style that he was drawing from whatever else. And I think that episode again reflected that she is in some ways vulnerable to that style uh, in terms of what just her natural abilities and her quick acrobatics and quick moves are by comparison. I bet you all the money in my pocket against all the money in your pocket that she has round two against Balin and kicks his ass easily. Y'all want to bet? 
I don't I don't want to bet because him and Shen are my new favorite characters in old Star in the Star Wars lore. They're like they're my favorite characters on the show and, and maybe in a lot of the Disney TV shows. So I really don't want him. This is a sad thing. I don't want the character to die, even though I know the actor dies. Yeah, I I am sure that that's where they're going with this. That they will give you it's it's like an Obi Wan series. They did it. He fought once. He reconnected. He became Obi Wan, yes. and he won. He oh, Ahsoka can. It's 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 kind of laughable that Ahsoka ever would have lost to Balin to begin with. She's gonna kick that guy's ass. I'm gonna say 1.5 episodes. She she did. Um, she she was beat winning. She got distracted by by um. She got distracted by thinking that her that uh that, that her apprentice had been killed. And, you know, and her it, hand being charred and all that shit. There were a lot of factors. Yeah. So, so she and they said like that was a bad idea, grabbing it and burning your hand when you're in a fight where you need that hand. So now you're fighting one handed in pain and like emotionally think that you, the person you care about most just was murdered. She was distracted. She lost because of that, because of the distraction. She still was better, even even in her gray, unpowered form. She was winning. I think I think it was actually pretty even up until then. I, mean, I, I may be biased with well just because they, it was one of my favorite choreographed lightsaber fights in all of Star Wars in the sense that they were straight up just using like medieval training mantles, like styles in terms of knightly combat for a lot of what was going on. Right? I, I, was I, I fucking great. Hey, Spencer. When Tyson fought Douglas in Tokyo, did Tyson lose? Man, I wish I could help you with that information. Tyson lost to Douglas. We all remember that Tyson lost to Douglas. That was his first loss. What we don't remember is that he'd been up for two days straight. He was doing cocaine. He had been with a prostitute the night before. He was maybe a, a little bit drunk at lost. the start of it. Exactly. A loss is a loss. Nobody ever remembers the trailing excuses afterwards. All right. That's the end of the episode. Uh, I've got a few nominees. I mean, a, a lot of them are in terms of the back, the back and forth that we're seeing between Anakin and Ahsoka. Um, but, uh, what if, what if I want to stop fighting, then you'll die. This is a key thing that's resonating through it. Um, do, do, do. the whole final speech about, you know, Ahsoka within you will be everything I am. All the knowledge I possess just as I inherited knowledge from my master and he from his, you're a part of my legacy, but part of my, of that legacy is one of death and war. But you're more than that because I'm more than that. You are more Anakin. You're more powerful and dangerous than anyone realized. Is that what this is about? If I'm everything you are, you're, you've learned nothing. And that whole back and forth is just great. Ending with the final message of I choose to live. There's hope for you yet. Great stuff there. Um, and I could just quote almost all of those back and forth, but I, I would just put forth the nominee. Almost all of the lines going back and forth between Anakin and Ahsoka when they're in the, in the land in between or whatever it's called. The world between worlds. You know what it is now. You're saying that dismissively. That's where you've gotten to. Now you call it the thing between the thing and the whatever, the, the money between the couch cushions or whatever you're calling okay. it. You're I, doing I, this I, dismissively. Go and I, as a Dave Filoni, as a newfound Dave Filoni fanatic as of this episode, don't appreciate it, sir. Okay, I understand. I'll get it right from now. It is the land before time. I understand. When will Littlefoot be showing up? So, uh, you know what I'm going to do? Because I'm a generous man, I'm going to cede my power to award best line of the episode to Jamie. Jamie, what was your favorite line of the episode? Uh, my favorite line of the episode, it would have to be, shoot, 
I, I had it a moment ago, and I forgot because you got me thinking of different names for the World Between Worlds. Um, wait, no, you, you talk, you talk for other stuff. Cause I, All right, because I, I think probably, like, what I have seated, I've officially seated my authority. Jamie will select it this, this so week. So you've got nominees but, then. But, yeah, so one of my nominees is probably when he says um, – she says, what, you know, what, what, ha- what if I want to stop fighting? And he says, then you'll die. And then connecting, I, I put the, I put the long ellipses is a very generous ellipses I've put in this quote. Four super, dots. super generous. All the way to, I want to live. When she told yeah. Anakin, I want to live. Those three things connected for me. All right. So this is, this is like, um, where there's too many people crowding through the finish line who are all amazing athletes. And they all trip over each other in a big pileup because they're so good. All the things you guys have said are so good. Tripped up right at the finish line and jumping over your heads is, I, I need to see your, your license registration, please. <laughs> <laughs> this is Fine. your space. You need to identify yourself. I respectfully disagree when he says that one to her. <laughs> I, I did, I did enjoy that back and forth because it was, it, 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 it is the, it is the perfected version of the gag from episode uh, eight. Like the gag episode eight, I actually still love. I rolling. This, this was the better version because it was tighter and didn't. It, it was it was so tight. It was so good. It, it had a purpose for why it was so silly. And it also wasn't in character random. Most of what we've been seeing him do in terms of his like day job is being a space cop, and that's right. what he's defaulting back to. Because it's like improvised improvise you want me in the next 10 seconds to come up with a wacky scheme to stop the entire my team armada um license and registration yeah Yeah, if if the conversation had kept going on he would have like gone a little orbit around the ship and said hey looks like you got a taillight out let me i need you to pull over right now so we can talk about that all right. Yeah. Fantastic episode. All right. Let's, uh, let's, uh, Jamie, you and I have been talking all along. The people know our opinions of the season. Spencer, I think I now would like to hear your sort of cumulative thoughts as we are at the midway point of the season. What do you think of the, the show so far? Uh, well, I think you all, you, you, y'all would agree with me that the first two episodes were the weakest of the season and honestly did not give me a good taste I'm, going forward for what the show, yep. show could accomplish. Yes. Every episode since then has given me a more positive view and outlook about what the show is capable of and what the show can show on the screen. Um, episode three, still not up to the same levels, but it showed some noticeable improvement uh, in terms of just the character work or the, uh, the, the dialogue that was occurring. Episode four, massively improved things just from an action standpoint of where it was also just an enjoyable watch in a way that the first three weren't as much for me. And then episode five, I felt like I said the happy medium almost between those of where it's interesting story, interesting presentations, some mysteries, some good character work and some effective enough action. The show has now moved to the point of where it is just, if nothing else, entertaining and something I'm looking forward to in a way that was Sadly, hard for me after the first two episodes. So, I've got a smile on my face when it comes to the show. I'm not sure whether it's going to land well. I still don't like what they're doing with respect to Thrawn, and everything seems to be built around that in a way I, th- I know I'm going to find frustrating in the end. Um, but the show itself, for a beat for beat moment, it's now a reliable weekly watch that I'm not just doing for the sake of having a blast hanging out with you guys. Hear that? He likes us. Oh yeah, he likes us for sure. Uh, 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 We're like his best friend. You put, uh, yeah, uh, he'll, you, he'll you, text us like once a week. 
Ooh. You, you have no idea how exclusive a club that is. It's rarefied air. So it, it, it is it is a shortlist sort of like that where um, things that I didn't like, things that were annoying to me, character weaknesses that I didn't understand or appreciate or really just like, not only are explained, but become worthwhile. Like her be, if they capitalize it, I'm now assuming they're going to kind of capitalize on she's got something to fire back. Maybe she'll be explicit about it. Maybe she won't. Maybe she'll just give enough faith to the audience that now she tells jokes. Now she's able to be empathetic. Now she's more normal, and we know why, and that's enough. Um, that makes her being all distant and PSTD'd, uh, like, good. It makes it worthwhile. Yeah, agreed. Like, Deep Space Nine, like, you know, a couple of the Doctor Who characters that I hated until I figured out why they were so annoying in their first season is because they were doing it on purpose for a reason, and it made it all worthwhile. And to... Two two other things. So I had done two things every other time I've spoken in this damn episode. Uh, one, Lee, they did straight up the same thing with Ahsoka back when we saw her in Clone Wars, right? Of where they frame her initially as being somebody you didn't like or somebody that was, you know, in that yeah, case, more kind of annoying. Yeah, a brat back then, yeah. But it's a, it's a different moment in life kind of thing, but they're op- the opening of this season is Ahsoka you didn't like, and now we're seeing a certain element of character growth, or in many ways, in this case, character return. Through you know the, the the trauma of growing up. So how many more times do they have to do this with the same character until Lee just like assumes it'll be okay? If, today is not that day, my friend. Today is not the day. I, uh, I yeah I yeah go ahead. Second one. Second one. The second thing was uh, another thing that gives me a certain degree of confidence that I'm going to like kind of what they do with everything else is they've now physically gone to a place that leaves behind the things I found most annoying. Hera. Left behind. The New Republic, left behind. Are, are, are you saying that our great protagonist, Hera, isn't good at holding an audience's attention? What are you saying, sir? I'm suggesting that when they straight up said in this episode, I'm sorry we can't bring you along, that may have been the writers just going, thank Christ we get to leave you behind. I, I, that was kind of like a, why did Din Djarin's parents not get in with him? Why didn't Jack get on the raft also like the whale's mouth is big you could they could have come it would have been fine we we no no for the sake of the story you can't fit in this giant ass baleen covered whale mouth we need you to stay look if there's two they'll think they're birds they'll swallow it doesn't work Mm -hmm. the whale basically cyclically said all right fine but none of those none of those other tiny food things hanging out with you just none. one no, none of the rest of them taste good all right prediction next episode and then we'll wrap up next episode jamie do we see thrawn in episode six no spencer do we see thrawn in episode six a penultimate episode at the earliest okay and I, I'm, I'm betting not till episode 10 okay uh, all right. Well, then we're going to wrap up. Uh, I have no idea how we're going to do this podcast next week because Jamie will likely have a new addition to the family. Uh, so it will be uh, interesting to see. We'll see. If you um, need Lee, out of love for you and support for Jamie, if you need me to sub in because Jamie's not in a position to do it, I'm happy to sub in. I'm going to tell you to do that, and then I'm going to be there anyway just to, like, make you have more friendship time. That yeah, well, Spencer and I get a lot of friendship time. Uh, see all other podcasts. Uh, I'll say this: uh, if what, why we will we cover the the best one? 
we will cover the episode because uh, it sounds like Spencer's willing to do it. Uh, sounds like Jamie may, may or not may or may not be able to do it. Jamie will have a baby on his hip being in this episode now. At the oh, worst case scenario, my wife has opinions. She wants you all to know that it's definitely the force that the witches are using. She doesn't like my midichlorian snorting theory. She, she wants you to know all. She is very. She's yeah, like, she's she's two for two so far. Uh, and <laughs> but at worst case scenario, uh, I'll do the pod myself. I've done that before too. So we, we will get some sort of coverage out for the next episode. So thanks everybody for listening. Appreciate you hanging in there with us. We will be back with you next week to review episode six of Seven. See you then. Woo.